That to-do list you have needs one more thing. Chill. It's an easy thing to do. Just crack open an ice-cold Coors Light and chill. Take the afternoon off and binge watch anything. Go to happy hour and stay for a couple hours. Who's counting anyways? Or hang out with just your dog because you've had enough human interaction this week. Whatever you do, do it with a Coors Light. Mountain cold refreshment made to chill. 2020 Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast. A production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. I still know and I believe that you're out of rhythm. I mean, I think you're out of rhythm. How else? How could you be in rhythm amid the snow and the ice and the freezing rain and sidewalks that are that are acting like uh, skating rinks? I watched Anna today. She had this great big idea. She was going to take the kids out for a play date at one of these rock climbing places. And I watched her. We have this little hill behind our house. I watched her back the car out of the driveway and... She made it about 25 feet, and as she turned to try to go up the little hill, even in her all-wheel drive car, she made it about five feet, and then the car started to slide backwards. Then I could see the look on her face. She was wondering, like, should I just leave it here? I said, you can't leave it there. What if somebody comes down the hill? So I skated across the street, the driveway to the car, Darn near fell a couple times. Thinking to myself the whole time, muttering under my breath, you know, you know, you've been there. And I said, all right, all right, you know, pull forward. <laughs> Got the car back into the into the garage. Kids are now doing a jigsaw puzzle and making cookies. It's been that kind of day at our household. What is it like at your household? At 4 o'clock, we were, su- we're supposed to hear from Matt Prem of 24-7 Sports to talk Oregon, basketball, football, Pac-12 stuff. And he told me right before the show his his power's out, so he's headed to a Starbucks to charge his phones. I hope you have power wherever you are. But uh, give us the scouting report on the road. Stephen Vaughn, uh, I, want, I want to solicit people to call in at 503-417-7575. We'll get to sports. I got a lot to talk about. But, Stephen Vaughn, you made it into the office today. You know, give us a scout on what it was like, uh, main roads, side roads, your driveway, what were you worried about? You know, give us the scout. Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, I got here, but it was an adventure for sure. Uh, you know, I so I go out in this morning, I you know, go down go downstairs, and my wife says, hey, did you park in the middle of the road on our street? And I said, no. And she goes, well, your car is, it, it, it slid down the driveway. So the e the e brake must have failed or something, and my car. Luckily, we're on a private road, so you know it's not a busy road at all. But uh, yeah, the car was not in the driveway; it was slid down. Not uh, where you parked it. Not where I parked it. So I get in the car uh, and I walk outside to get in the car. Uh, slip and fall on the driveway, getting yeah. into the car. Then I get in the car and uh, I cannot see a thing. It is just frozen over. Uh, the car is just sliding all around, not even driving. So I just kind of park it off to the side somewhere, you know, a little bit more out of the way than what it was. Uh, and then, you know, going to work, we have it on our ring camera. Um, you know, my wife heard me walk out the door, so you probably looked at the ring, saw me walk, take a step down, and uh, I start sliding down. I'm holding on to her car for uh, for you know for heaven's sakes and uh, trying not to fall. 
she comes out and starts laughing at me and says, hey, just be careful, Stephen. So, yeah, the side roads were uh, nasty for sure. Uh, as long as I got on the main roads, John, it was very, uh, very smooth ride, you know, very slushy out there. But it took a little bit longer because I had to take, you know, main roads rather than go the back ways and go the, go the long, or, you know, had to go the long way. So, um, and then walking into the office today, you know, sidewalks, I mean, it's unwalkable to walk. You can't even walk on them. So people are walking no. on the streets and uh, walking in the roads. It, it's just, it's unwalkable. I tried. I slipped and fell again. So it was probably pretty funny again. But, uh, yeah, you can't. Uh, you just can't walk. It's funny. On it's funny, but if you're older, right? Like, you know, you're breaking a hip. I mean, and, it hurts. I, I'm hurting. Yeah. I will say, but you know, big tree fall hard. So I'm okay though. Yeah, I um, I was out. You know, because we just we live kind of on a in a hilly area, and they do a nice job of kind of putting gravel down. And and you know, I heard the uh, the snowplow go by in the early hours of the morning. I'm a pretty light sleeper, but. Um, I still looked at the temperatures and I thought, oh, it'll be slushy by now. It was not. Like, it's thick ice. Like, it's an inch and a half, two inches thick of ice in the driveway. And I took a shovel and I started kind of trying to, uh, you know, break some of it up. It's it's not easy. It's no, going to take some time. It's not. I told you to that. I said, hey, I'm going to maybe go come in a little bit later. Hopefully it slushes down a little bit. And I go outside. It's like, this is not going to wear down by any time soon. So I just had to, you know, truck it in. But, yeah, it, the, it is a thick, solid sheet of ice everywhere well i want to take phone calls we'll talk a lot about sports uh i've got a lot of stuff on my mind uh but uh, we've got great guests today as well but let's go out to the phone lines 503-417-7575 tell us what's going on where you are we are totally out of rhythm over here edgar go ahead hey john uh just uh giving you my report down here from eugene it's uh pretty pretty icy pretty bad uh I tried to leave my, uh, this was yesterday, I tried to uh, pick up some groceries, and uh, um, there was still like a big, thick of, my car was essentially a block of ice. Um, I was able to get in eventually, and I tried to unblock, uh, take out the ice from the side window, and I, I could. And so eventually, I took a mallet and just started like lightly pounding around, not the window, and eventually the ice broke off. But um, yeah, it was pretty icy, trees, power lines are down. I mean, this is probably the worst that I've seen it since I moved up here in 2017, and uh, I'm just uh, I'm just glad uh, nothing happened to to my home, and and uh, I'm glad it's starting to clear up a bit. Uh, just less now, but uh, you know, it's definitely been a rough few few days. Yeah, for me, look, I, I think it's great evidence. There's the report from Eugene where power there's a lot of power outages, and there's still people without power in Eugene and in parts of the Portland metropolitan area as well. There's some water issues too. We got a boil notice meaning you got to boil your water. They had some kind of water main break somewhere. So um, I think there's a lot of inconvenience going on, a lot of people just trying to get by. But I also think this is a great moment. Like, you know, I'm not a big planner. Anna's the planner in our household. I'm not a big let's plan things out, let's be prepared. It takes me multiple times of being inconvenienced and being stuck before I actually go, hey, good idea, to be plan to plan for this next time, but this is a great opportunity for us all to look around and go, okay, what don't we have that we wish we had? Like I have a pair of boots now that've got like ice spikes on the bottom of them. I didn't have that last time there was an ice storm, and and they've sat in the garage unused, whatever. I put them on today when I was skating out into the driveway because I was like, if I'm gonna fall, I'm gonna fall with my best equipment on. If I'm gonna fail, I'm gonna fail going full speed. Uh, but is a great, I think, you know, opportunity to kind of look around and go, okay, what do, don't we have? What do we need for next time? 
because it's too late. Like Edgar's, you know, he's running out to get groceries and his car is an ice sculpture. It's too late by then to go out and do it. I, I just think, too, people are out of rhythm and they don't know what to do with themselves. Parents are going crazy because kids are out of school again for another day. And I just thought when we would see temperatures go above 32, that that would mean, hey, no more ice. Um, you know, we should get Matt Safino, the chief meteorologist at KGW, to, on the show to come and talk about it. Let's effort him for the next segment. That would be fun to have him talk about it. He can talk about Utah as well as, as a guy who grew up and went to college in weather. Uh, what does he make of the weather here? Because uh, largely, I think the weather in the Pacific Northwest, like you get storms, you get an occasional snow uh, week or two, and then you get an occasional week in the summer that's hot, but it's you know it's not like Tucson. It's not like Phoenix, and it's certainly not like some of the uh, some of the northern and uh, you know the places that get snow all. It's not like Buffalo, uh, where you get snow all the time. Um, speaking of, I just kind of wonder, like you know, people make fun of us. I know we have friends that are from Ohio and Indiana, and Stephen, you mentioned your dad from Illinois. They make fun of us, but I think part of the problem is that we just don't deal with this all the time. We're not well versed in it, and equipment-wise, we just don't, you know, like the garbage routes are thrown off. The school bus drivers don't like to drive in it, and school employees aren't used to driving in it, and people aren't used to it. And so you get a lot of really responsible, um, you know, employers who will take a look around and go, this just isn't worth putting my employees through. And they'll go, hey, you know what? Uh, you know, we're, we're calling it. We're canceling it. School districts have done that. But you know, what does your dad say about all this, Stephen? You guy from Illinois? Yeah, I mean, he's he he's been out here since um, I'm trying to think. I, I want to say the seven, like mid seventies, mid late seventies. So he's been out here for a while now. Um, I think he's he's fine with it. He understands. He understands that Portland and you know Oregon is just generally a different place than other parts of the world, uh, especially in the United States, like where he's from in the Midwest. So I think he's very uh, very open to the fact that he knows if it snows at all things are going to be shut down. And then he, you know, he'll tell us, you know, be safe out there and always, you know, he doesn't he doesn't like to leave either, but he knows like if he has to, he definitely can. And he he doesn't try to look down upon people. He's pretty nice about it, but he understands like, man, it's 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 different here where we just we're not used to it like you said. And I think it's just one of those things where if you're not used to driving in it, it's going to be tough when you have to do it once every 2-3 years driving in the snow and ice like this. It's just it's just one of those things that you don't have to do every day, so you just forget about it. And if you haven't been in dicey situations, it's scary. Even, it can be scary. Even man. the simplest of things, like Anna's eyes as she was backing the car up and trying to get it back to the house, I could just tell she was in trouble. And I was like, I'll get it. I'll get it. Well, Let me get in there. Especially for people I feel like Anna, who's in control of a lot of things, like it is out of your control. I mean, when you're yeah. slipping, I mean, when I'm walking on the sidewalk, I'm slipping around. It's like, I'm out of control. Like, I have, I can't control this. I don't know what's going to happen. It, it, I've had three knee surgeries, man. I feel better in a car on this kind of weather than I do on foot <laughs> because my, my knees just don't do well when it gets cold. And an icy surface where you don't have good footing is the worst. And it's where you see, like, I've had ruptured patellar tendons on both knees. It's a brutal injury. I've anybody who's had it knows under understands. Like you know, it's just basically like you know the piano wire that is attaching your patella and keeping your leg intact snaps, and now you got a problem. And then they reattach it. But I'm going to tell you, like most of the time, that injury is caused on ice, and it's generally people who are older who will slip on ice and lose their footing. Now I have an uncle who slipped uh, last week. And broke his hip. He lives in uh, he lives in Battleground. He's had 
hip replacement surgery in the last few days. They had to do surgery on it. He just slipped and and cracked his hip and you know uh, and everybody's really worried about him. But I I just think like it's it just becomes a little unnerving. And I know people laugh at us like you know people from Ohio and Chicago and you know I lived in. Indiana, Northeast Indiana, worked there, and those people were laughing at Californians. And but it's just different when you're in it occasionally versus in it all the time. Five zero three four one seven seventy five seventy five is a phone number. Uh, I wrote today at johnconzano dot com. I got I kind of went down a rabbit hole, and it started kind of with stuff that I was thinking about after watching several coaches leave their posts in the Pac twelve conference. I started thinking about Jed Fish. He's going to Washington. He's starting over. Washington's starting over. And I thought to myself, gosh, that's really hard for Washington. They are starting over. And then I was like, gosh, I, I've interviewed Jed Fish three or four times. Let me go back and listen to my interviews with Jed Fish, see what we talked about, because I forget. And so I go back to the first time I ever interviewed Jed Fish. It was 2021. July of 2021, I'm at Pac-12 Media Day in Hollywood, and I'm interviewing all of the coaches, and I went back to my email from that time, and I found an email correspondence between myself and the Pac-12 Conference's uh, Director of uh, VP of Communications, Jim Thornby. And there was Jim and I were going back and forth over, like, how many guests I was going to have on Media Day. Now, you know if you've tuned in on Media Day, it's like, you know, it's like a car wash. The guests are cycling through. I'm getting, like, a 10- or 12-minute interview with all the coaches all the offensive players, all the defensive players, some league executives, some athletic directors. But in July of 2021, in Hollywood, I did 37 interviews with different Pac-12 coaches and players. Jed Fish was the very last interview of the day. And I remembered that because I didn't want to do the interview. I arrived uh, at media day. I looked at the schedule, and I went, man, here I'm going to have Arizona at the end of my day. And at the time, my show was on from noon to three. And so I was interviewing Jed Fish at almost five o'clock in Hollywood. It wouldn't have, it wouldn't make air. So I was going, gosh, do my listeners care about hearing from the Arizona coach a day later in a taped interview? So it's kind of like this, you know, conversation I'm having. I'm asking different producers. I'm talking to people I trust saying, you know, do people care? Do they want to hear about Jed Fish? And so I told Thornby, I said, I don't think I want to do that interview. I think I'm going to bail on it. And that way, you know, I can focus more on the interviews that I really want to do. And frankly, I can pack up and get out of Hollywood a little early. And he said, oh, I really need you to do that interview. There's a bunch of other people who are canceling. If you're going to be there, you know, it would just be great if you didn't cancel on one of the Pac-12 coaches because he's going to be standing around after he does Phoenix Radio and Tucson Radio you know, all the other radio stations are going to be packed up. And he, and Thornby was right. Because when Jed Fish came around, because I agreed to do it, Jed Fish came around, KJR Radio in Seattle was packing up. I remember Softy was, like, packing up, doing extension cords. You know, he was done. And he had taped out the rest of his show. And I looked to my left, and the Salt Lake City radio station was packed up. So Jed Fish got a chance to sit down with me and have, like, 15 or 20 minutes where we talk. And we had this great interview Asked him about, like, his start in coaching. He said, you know, he first got interested in coaching because his mother, who was a school psychologist, was dating the head football coach. And Jed Fish was eight or nine years old, and his mom was dating the football coach at the high school. And so he got an interest in football from that age. And 
and got an exposure to it. And so, you know, he had this really kind of revealing and interesting interview. But it got me thinking about Media Day that day. Because as I looked at the schedule of all the coaches that I interviewed and all the players I interviewed, I realized something. I realized that nine of the 12 coaches from three seasons ago, nine of the 12 coaches are gone in the Pac-12 conference. It's been a turbulent 36 months. That media day where I interviewed all of those coaches, David Shaw at Stanford, Mario Cristobal at Oregon, Jonathan Smith at Oregon State, Jed Fish at Arizona, Jimmy Lake at Washington, Nick Rolovich at Washington State, Carl Durrell at Colorado, Clay Helton at USC, Herm Edwards, Arizona State, all gone. Only Justin Wilcox at Cal, Kyle Whittingham at Utah, and Chip Kelly at UCLA remain. Now, Stephen, I, I vaguely remember, I, was that your first media day that like were you on the scene that i think that was one of your early shows that you participated in. i was uh i was here 2022 that was my first one. okay so that was a year after that so a year after but all those guys are gone even shaw you remember shaw cristobal smith you know um rolovich you know carl durrell they're all gone now it is shocking because all those guys well most of those guys they were pretty well thought of at the time, too. Like, you think back to 2021, the Pac-12 had some really good thought-after coaches, and now, just a couple years later, they're all gone. And uh, it just shows how different college football is. I mean, think back then, John, the transfer portal wasn't really a thing. Like, now it's the transfer portal for coaches and for players, and everyone's looking to try to get to those big-time conferences because the Pac-12 at that time was one of the big conferences. So you wanted to get it. It was a destination job. Now those schools are looking to get elsewhere, but... It is shocking, and it, it makes sense back in your thinking with Jed Fish. Like, yeah, I don't necessarily need this interview for the new coach for Arizona, where that Arizona program, we forget how bad it was. I mean, it was a dumpster fire until he got there, and even when he got there, you know, it took a year or two to finally get it going. Now you look at them, they're maybe a top-10 team going into next season. So it, it makes a lot of sense what your thought process was, but it goes to show, like, if you get the right hire, you get the right guy at head coach, you can change your program in a year or two or three, and I think that's what Arizona's looking at with Brent Brennan now, and I think that's what you're hoping with Oregon State and Trent Bray. Like, he's the guy. You can continue that success going forward. It'll be interesting to see how it goes into next season, uh, you know, what coach we're not necessarily looking at if it's a new coach at a new school and which one's going to, you know, elevate their program to the next level because it's going to happen somewhere, and it's going to be something that we're not really expecting. Nine coaches, nine of the 12 gone in 36 months. Five of them fired. Four left on their own. David Shaw threw in the keys. You know, he just said, you know, I'm out. Um, You know, Mario Cristobal left to Miami. Jonathan Smith to Michigan State. Jed Fish has gone to Arizona. Um, You know, I mentioned Lake and Rolovich and Helton and Durrell and Edwards all fired. And so it kind of changes the conversation that we were having watching coaches change teams and fans being hurt by it and mad at it. And, you know, do you blame the coaches who are always chasing – ambition, more money, bigger platform, more job security, given that they're in a profession where, you know, five of the nine coaches from three years ago in the Pac-12 were fired. Like, there's no loyalty going that way. And I'm not saying people should feel sorry for the coaches who are walking off with millions of dollars in severance and, you know, ending up coaching somewhere else. But I'm just saying it kind of reframes the conversation about loyalty. All right, Matt Safino, Chief Meteorologist, KGW, coming up. Whether Wherever you're listening, you're going to get something out of that.
Plus, later in the show, we'll talk more about the introductory news conferences of these coaches. Are they saying the right thing? Are they being honest? Does it matter? We'll talk about it. Leave it here. You got the BFT statewide. We need an expert when it comes to weather. Chief Meteorologist, KGWTV, big time University of Utah football, basketball fan, Matt Zafino joining us from KGW. Zafino, hey, what buddy. Is going, what's going on, man? It's been a little wild, yeah? Yes, <laughs> it has. What are you seeing out there? Oh, man, I wish I was seeing more 40-degree temperatures farther north. They've made it down to, oh, down around Lake Oswego, West Lynn, and Point South. But once you get up into the Portland area, we're still hanging around 30 to 33 degrees. Um, So we've warmed up enough that the ice has been melting, say, here in downtown Portland. Um, We're seeing melting, but it's super slow. It's not going away very fast. The main roads, I've seen the plows out downtown, and they're getting a little slushier. But the sidewalks and the side streets in the neighborhoods, for many of us, uh, you know, from downtown over the east side neighborhoods, are still frozen solid. So um, what I'm not seeing is a big push of warm air that's going to change that anytime soon. So we're going to have to have a little more patience. All right. So, we, yeah, I, I, uh, Anna encountered that. She tried to drive, and even though our temperatures are like 40 she still encountered an inch, inch and a half thick slab of ice as she was trying to drive out the driveway, and she had to turn around and come back uh, because our neighborhood's in a little uh, hilly area. But did this surprise you? Did you were you surprised there weren't more snow, or did what did you see coming based based upon what actually happened? Um, so going, it was starting when, you know, you want to go back to last Saturday, let's go back, let's go back to Saturday. (laughs) Yeah. Saturday when we had, when we had the, the snow coming our way, was that Saturday or was that Friday? Um, so I was a little bit surprised that we didn't have more snow, but I understand why we ended up getting a lot more sleet and that keeps your snow totals down. Um, so I was a little bit surprised by that. Not super surprised though. I knew there'd be some sleet, but it ended up being more of a sleet storm than a snowstorm for Portland. The freezing rain. Um, yesterday did not surprise me at all. I think that was pretty well forecast. And I'm also not surprised by the slow, slow warming that we're seeing across the metro area because cold air like this, and remember, it, it had Arctic origins. It's very dense. It's very stubborn. It doesn't like to be displaced. Hangs down at the surface because it's, you know, it's, it's a density thing. So it's heavier. It's dense. Gravity wins. It stays low. And you need some mechanism that's going to push it around, scour it out, and move it out. That's usually for us a good south wind if we get a storm blowing into our north. The problem last night was that storm was pretty weak. So we, we picked up some warming, as you know. It's in the 40s for most of the Willamette Valley, but the Portland area, we're hanging on to this near-freezing air. And the bad news is the east winds are going to strengthen again tomorrow, and that's going to deliver more cool-ish air into the Portland area. Now, what I mean by that is I think we'll top out above freezing. We're not going to be seeing low temperatures in the low 20s like we did over the weekend, but we're only going to top out about 38 tomorrow, and the morning low will be around 33, maybe 32. And the ice itself has an insulating effect in that it helps to chill the air simply by its mere presence. So it's going to be a slow uh, thaw for the Portland area. And the farther east you go towards the gorge, the the slower it's going to be. And I think we are going to see more freezing rain tomorrow from roughly I-205 east. So most of the metro should see just a cold rain. But from I-205 east, we're going to see more freezing rain tomorrow and strong winds out of the east. They're going to be blowing again by 30 to 50 mile an hour gusts in the gorge. And then in the gorge itself, up to nine inches of new snow with the system coming in tomorrow. 
as you know, probably, the uh, Interstate 84 is still closed in the gorge. I don't know when they're going to get that open. Matt Safino, Chief Meteorologist, KGW, with us. All right, you, uh, you're a University of Utah guy. and Go Utes. You know, I went there, and I was there, and there was snow on the ground, and the people there are driving around like it's nothing. And, but we freak out. And But I, I want to give people here a break because we're not used to it, and the cities aren't used to it. And, you know, what do you see? Because you're a guy who's lived in places that had more snow and sure. and tougher conditions what what's going on with us sure and i grew up in new england too and i lived in michigan so i've i've lived in a lot of different snowy places and i don't think it's you know people like to do exactly what you said well Back in Minnesota, we wouldn't close the schools unless there was four inches of snow on the ground. It's like, yeah, okay, that doesn't work in Portland, and that doesn't work in New England because the roads are hilly, and you get an inch of ice, and you have to close the schools because the buses can't move. So it varies from city to city. So back to your Salt Lake City thing, they are used to snow. They get a lot of snow. What they don't get a lot of is what we just got, freezing rain. That's pretty rare for the Salt Lake Valley. It happened once when I lived there, and it was a rare event. So while they're, they're used to snow, they get a lot of snow. Look how that city is laid out. It's relatively flat. The streets are super wide, thanks to Brigham Young. And, I mean, that's that's a true story. Um, and uh, and they know how to deal with it. They've got the plows, and snow is easier to deal with than ice. Same thing in Denver. Same thing in all the snowy cities like Minneapolis and Chicago. They know how to deal with it. They get it all the time. We also have, you know, as you mentioned, the hills and the terrain that make it really, really dangerous. And then we have our, our, our little secret weapon known as the Columbia River Gorge that keeps us cold. So our terrain is incredibly complex. That adds to the complexity of the weather that we actually get, not the actual forecast, although that's true, too. I'm just talking about the actual weather that we get. Um, so it's my point is this. It's it's not it's not really a fair comparison to compare how Seattle or Portland deals with snow as to how Minneapolis or Boston or Chicago deals with snow, because it's a it's a different animal. You're right about Brigham Young. Uh, the streets, <laughs> the streets in Portland, the blocks are shorter and narrower in Salt Lake City. They are wider and larger than any major city in the United States. That's you know, we should take a page from that. That's Why true. Not a little bit. Well, they did that. I think the historical reason for that is that they did it uh, so they could drive their covered wagons down the street easily. Honestly, I think that's the history of the of the street layout in Salt Lake. I love that. Matt Safino with us. Uh, we've got a lot of listeners in Eugene on Fox Sports. Eugene, they're losing power down there. Oh, yeah. Seems like they're in a they're in a world of hurt. Well, they had a lot of ice. You know, the, the ice came into Eugene before it came into Portland yesterday, and they had it for quite a while. But they've also warmed up. They're in the 40s down there now, so their ice is going to melt faster. But, you know, once the power lines are down and the trees are down, it takes crews time to to make men. So I actually did a, a social media post about this, just kind of giving a shout out to all the tradespeople, all the linemen, all the people working the power lines and, and, and uh, traffic and transportation crews. They're all doing their best. They're working super hard to get our, our homes and our lives back to normal. So shout out to them and also, you know, have patience with them because they're working hard. Matt Safino with us. All right, let's uh, pivot a little bit. I was looking at something uh, football-wise. I mentioned it in the last segment. You go back three years, Safino, and nine of the 12 Pac-12 coaches are not in their jobs. Media Day three years ago. Kyle Whittingham's one of them. Yeah. He's still there. 
Um, you know, but you have guys like David Shaw, who's, you know, throwing in the keys and Jimmy Lake got fired and Carl Durrell and Clay Helton got fired and massive turnover. But as a Utah fan, that continuity is valuable, isn't it? I think so. I, I think it really is. I mean, you know, I, I know you have a lot, at least I think you have a lot of respect for Kyle Whittingham. And I think most of the college football world does. And part of it is he's such a nice guy, you know, I mean, and I love how he deals with the media because if there's something he's not going to tell you, he doesn't deride you. He doesn't make you feel bad about your questions. He just says, yeah, I can't answer that right now. And then he moves on and he's cool about it. But coaching wise, I think, and, and recruiting wise, I think that continuity goes a long, long way. And, you know, as much as I, I, you know, just hated the demise of the, of the PAC 12, I'm excited to see what, what Utah can do in the big 12 next year. And, uh, and going forward. I, and since we're talking college football coaches, I got to give Dan Lanning a shout out though. I thought that video he did say, uh, saying, Hey, I'm not going anywhere. Are your coaches, is your coach leaving? Come play for me. I mean, he turned the gossip mill into a recruiting tool. I thought that was brilliant. Yeah, he did. He used it as an opportunity. Even though he probably wasn't offered the job, he got an opportunity to be the good guy, get a standing ovation exactly. <laughs> at, the, at the next game. All right, uh, the move to the Big 12 for Utah. How is the fan base feeling? You know, as far as I can tell, we're like, okay, bring it on. You know, let's let's go play. Let's lace them up. I mean, for Utah, the, the realignment is probably a little less severe than it is for other schools because if you think about it, we're going with four schools that we're used to playing. The Arizona schools, Colorado, and BYU is already there. And we're, of course, you know, that's our arch rival. We're used to playing them even though we haven't played them as much over the last five years or so. So travel-wise, going to Arizona, no big deal. Of course, BYU is just down the road. Colorado is just over the hill, known as the Rocky Mountains. And, and the schools in Texas aren't that far. Utah's are all, um, always for a long time been recruiting Texas pretty heavily anyway. So I don't think that's too much of a, too, too much of a tough task for them. It'll be interesting to see them play in, was it Ames, Iowa, where Iowa State plays? Yeah. In West Virginia and then going down to Florida. So I think the recruiting base, um, you know, wasn't happy about it. I think Utah was thrilled uh, being in the Pac-12 and obviously with the success of the Pac-12, winning it two years in a row and being in the Pac-12 championship game, what, four of the final, last five times before this year? Um, you know, I, I don't think anybody was happy about that, but, you know, we're all moving forward the best we can. Matt Safino, Chief Meteorologist, KGW. All right, give us, uh, you know, your... your ex- what are we expecting in the next uh, 12 hours, 24 hours? You mentioned some of the cool... Winds coming in from the gorge, uh, but what should we be telling our friends about the next 24 hours? So it's highly dependent on what part of town you live in. For let's say downtown and the the inner neighborhoods, east side, and then out, you know, through Mount Tabor, Lads Edition, uh, down in southeast Portland, you know, Laurelhurst, all those areas, and then down towards Selwood. Um, it's going to remain cool. Our temperatures where they are right now, around 30 to 33, depending on exactly where you are, aren't going to change a whole lot. The good news is they're not going to drop overnight tonight, but we're not going to see widespread quick melting. That's the unfortunate part. And up in the West Hills, where I know some people still have powers, don't have power, rather, um, it's going to remain very cold there. We should top out around 38 tomorrow, but that east wind is coming back tomorrow afternoon, and hopefully that doesn't bring down any more trees and power lines and all of those issues all over again. And we're going to get a good cold rain tomorrow. I think we'll get some dry weather on Friday. It won't be super warm. We'll only top out around 40, but dry forty, uh, dry Friday. And then over the weekend, things should improve. We should be well into the 40s beginning on Saturday. So yeah, still another 24 hours. I'm a little nervous about forecast-wise. We'll be watching how far that east, uh, how far that freezing rain can spread to the west tomorrow. I think again about or to I-205 should be it, but we'll be watching that very closely. We were talking with Anna yesterday on air about all the weather-related uh, coverage she did over the years being 
you know, stuck out at the Sylvan overpass or uh, in the gorge <laughs> yeah. or whatnot. Uh, who's who's drawing those assignments for KGW today? <laughs> you know what? Uh, that's such a great question because we had Evan Moore, one of our young reporters, and Evan's super solid, really good reporter, and we had him out in Troutdale yesterday, and he literally said that there were chunks of ice getting blown in his face and i'm thinking to myself you know what's bad when mother nature is blowing chunks on you i mean that's <laughs> basically what it came down to insult to injury i love that and and a listener called in and asked you know snow or you know i the the ice freeze or you know how it's all marketed by stations is that are you involved in those conversations? Does the marketing department pull you in and say, Zafino, what should we call this thing? Arctic Blast 2024? What are we calling it? You know, it's a lot more casual than that. Um, and, 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 you know, over the course of my career, yes, that's been discussed with me, but it's never my decision. That's usually done by the managers in the newsroom and maybe the marketing department as well. And I feel like that's dropped off a little bit. Like, I don't, you know, this one, our, our graphics are just saying winter storm. So we didn't go full on Arctic Blast, although personally, I was calling this an Arctic Blast because it was an Arctic blast when we got that cold. I mean, over the weekend, we topped out in the low 20s, set record yeah. low daytime high temperatures. Yeah, I saw some teens, and I was going, okay, not since I was in northeast Indiana did I see this kind of weather. So uh, stay warm. You too. Matt, yeah, Matt Zafino, thank you, man. Thank you, you for joining us. Anytime. All right. There he goes, chief meteorologist. There you have it. I love that. I love that we can just, uh, you know, summon him up. And he joined us. Uh, via, you know, uh, T1 line directly. That's why he sounded like he was right in studio. He was right there in the KGW newsroom giving us the report. So uh, thank you to Matt Zafino for making time for us. Our big splash is coming up uh, later in the show. We'll go to Eugene, among other places, and we'll talk more about the NFL playoffs. Leave it here. Well, you heard Zafino. Be careful out there. The uh, ice that's on the ground is real. If you're on the main streets that have been plowed and have graveled down, great. But if you are uh, living on the hills or uh, taking the back roads or walking on the sidewalks, uh, be careful. Keep your feet underneath you. Uh, I hope you're okay. Uh, Jerry Palm, CBS Sports Bracketology expert, will be joining us in the 5 o'clock hour. I had Matt Prem from 24-7 Sports down for a 4 o'clock check-in, but the pow- his power's out in Eugene. He's been knocked out. He said he was headed over to a Starbucks and a, bra- a big tree branch fell and crushed his uh, meter box outside his house. So, um, you know, he's uh, obviously a family of four in need of power in Eugene. Uh, but uh, his his uh, power is out, so he's holed up at a Starbucks, he said. So he's calling the insurance company, calling the power company, trying to get some work done, as uh, a lot of people are trying to cope as well. I'll take your phone calls, 503-417-7575. Uh, the turnover... In the Pac-12 conference, just to tie a bow on this, nine of the 12 coaches from three years ago are gone. Five fired, four left for other jobs. Kyle Whittingham remains behind. Chip Kelly remains behind. Justin Wilcox at Cal remains behind. The rest of the Pac-12 has turned over in three years. Now, some of it may have to do with the fact that, hey, maybe the Pac-12 is a different conference. Jonathan Smith probably isn't looking to go to Michigan State if Oregon State's still in the Pac-12, the real Pac-12, the old Pac-12. Um, maybe maybe uh, Kalen DeBoer goes anyway. Jed Fish probably goes anyway from Arizona to Washington then. Um, you know, David Shaw throws in the keys because, you know, NIL and the transfer portal changed the calculus at Stanford. 
for real. And uh, I think in the end, we're all kind of left looking at, you know, the Pac-12 going, gosh, what has gone on? Is this turmoil just going to be an annual thing? Is this just going to is this what coaches are going to do? Are they going to jump? Are they going to turn over? And I found it interesting, really fascinated. Brent Brennan announced today as the uh, introduced as the new coach at Arizona. Really good hire by Dave Hickey, the athletic director there. Really smart hire. Brennan comes in and I found it really interesting, like the the timeline for these hires has been accelerated. And it, and it's obviously been accelerated because of the transfer portal. Like, you know, A has to do with B. These things are correlated. The transfer portal opens the minute Kalen DeBoer leaves Washington. 30-day transfer window for Washington players. It places a ticking clock on the AD at Washington. you got to make a hire, and you need to do it fast before all these players are gone. And so the AD at Washington has to act rapidly and replace Kalen DeBoer with Jed Fish rapidly. And then Dave Hickey, the AD at Arizona, goes, oh, crap, I've got to move fast, or I'm going to lose all my players in the portal. And so he hires Brent Brennan to San Jose State. Well, guess what? San Jose State's AD's got to do the same thing today. And then whoever they hire from, they have to do the same thing. It's just this domino effect and the rapid way in which the coaches are jumping and jumping and being replaced immediately, it, it's it's mind-blowing. But... Uh, you know, fans, here's my advice to you. You're rooting for your program. You're not rooting for the coach. You're not, like, the coach isn't the reason you're there. You're not, uh, you're rooting for the players, really, even though you are. You're rooting for the jerseys. And you're in it together. And so just buckle up and know that there's going to be some of these moments where it's going to feel volatile. It's going to feel tumultuous. It's going to be, it's different. It's just a different time. Let's go to the phone lines. Brad's in Eugene listening on Fox Sports Eugene. Go ahead, Brad. Hey there. I just wanted to let you know it it's gotten up to almost 50 degrees down here, so it's it's melting quick. Good. Uh although the standing water on top of the like 3 inch thick sheet of ice that is collected in the last few days is pretty darn treacherous still. So it's slippery but uh improving quickly and hopefully you guys will get warming up there um coming north. What if, let me ask you Brad, what what do you do for work? I have a coffee company. We're a coffee roaster. All right. So, you, you, did you work today? Did you, are you out today? Uh, out we about? showed up. We showed up to the water main to our building, broken and spouting water. We got a plumber out this afternoon. We are optimistically hoping hoping to be open tomorrow. But between the, about the twenty five uh, employees in the building, we're like fifty fifty in terms of who's out of power, and uh, it's just been a real struggle for everybody down here. Yeah. Stay safe. Stay warm. Appreciate Thank you. you, man. There's Brad in Eugene. I think a lot a lot of people are in that same boat. It's pretty dicey, and even though it is starting to warm a bit. Uh, this brings us to our big splash. It's the one thing you need to know today. This is the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. Must be the big splash. Brought to you by Killer Burger, home of the peanut butter pickle bacon burger and voted best burger five years in a row. Killer Burger, the burgers your mama warned you about. Well, TCU's next two home games in uh, in women's basketball has have been canceled. The team does not have enough available players. School announcing today that the Horned Frogs, who are 14-4, and four, 
Scheduled to play number seven Kansas State tonight. Iowa State on Saturday cannot play. Uh, so Iowa State and Kansas State will each get a win. TCU will get losses. Uh, overall records will not be impacted due to NCAA rules. But, uh, you know, TCU's point guard, Jaden Owens, has a torn ACL and a meniscus. And Sedona Prince, a senior at TCU, broke her finger in early January. She's been sidelined. Horn Frogs not able to uh, play a basketball game due to injuries. I find that interesting. Um, and I find it interesting that they're leaning into that. It's a health and safety protocol that it really was born uh, during the pandemic. And uh, under Big 12 rules, a school that is unable to field a team will forfeit. And uh, as a result, those wins go that way, but overall records don't get impacted. TCU, are they playing a little bit of a game there? Keep an eye on it. Uh, other things going on, uh, you know, I saw a report today, uh, Jim Ursay, police are saying that he was found unresponsive and struggling to breathe uh, by paramedics last month following a suspected overdose. He's found in bed, cold to the touch. Emergency personnel found him on December 8th, according to the report, and it comes out of Carmel, Indiana. Uh, officer wrote in the report that Ursay's pulse was weak and slow, um, you know, he got a uh, dose of Narcan, which is a medicine that is used to reverse the f- effects of an opioid overdose. And uh, officers noted that a number of different prescription medications uh, were uh, in the room. And uh, the incident was first reported, of course, by TMZ this morning. Uh, the Colts last week revealed that he was dealing with a respiratory illness, they said. They, just, they declined to offer any specific details about it. But uh, it's not apparently a respiratory illness. Uh, Timeline of the results is unclear, but uh, he's not been seen publicly in some time. This brings us to the NFL. Stephen, if we can, look around. Houston, Baltimore on Saturday, 1.30 on ABC. Saturday night, Green Bay, San Francisco. It feels like the Packers and the Niners end up playing this game every couple years in the playoffs about this time of year. You give... You give either one, like you you think Houston's got a puncher's chance against Baltimore, but what about Green Bay? Do they have any shot against the Niners? I Yeah, yeah you're right. I think Houston has a shot against Baltimore, and I do not think Green Bay has a chance against San Francisco. I love the Green Bay Packers offense. You know, Jordan Love looks amazing right now. Uh, you know, I got all those rookie receivers, Jaden Reed, Dontavia Wicks, and then you got Aaron Jones running the rock like, like you know, a couple years ago. He's looking great. Um, I, I just don't think that that Packer defense is going to be able to hold up against the 49ers offense. And you know, I'm not even the biggest Brock Purdy fan, but there's no denying that he's a good quarterback. You know, I've been very, you know, very doubtful on him, but man, that guy can play. And Kyle Shanahan knows how to put him in the right spot. So I think the 49er offense is just going to be cooking against that Packers defense. Uh, and so I, I just don't think the Packers have enough on the defensive side to slow down the 49ers to stop that game. Where I, I think this Baltimore Ravens team, I like, I do like them. I like them a lot, and I love Harbaugh as the coach. I love Lamar Jackson. I think they're great. But Lamar has had trouble in the playoffs, and so I want to see him you know, perform well in this spot. They've been number one seed before, and they lost at home to the Tennessee Titans with Derrick Henry running all over them. And I think C.J. Stroud is the man, John. I, I think he is. I think he's awesome. Uh, you know, He could be one of the future you know, best quarterbacks in all of the league, and I think that time is right now. You know, They've had you know, uh, him as the starter. Those first two games of the season that he started, they lost by double digits. After that, every single game has been close. With the, with the Houston Texans in it, they're only losses by like three points or less when C.J. Stroud starts the game and finishes the game. So I think as long as Stroud can stay healthy, uh, Houston's got a chance in this one. Are you willing to take 
Houston to win the game on the money line? I might sprinkle it. I might sprinkle it a little bit, John. I mean, I, I think it's very likely that the Ravens are going to win, but I would love the points, and I will sprinkle a little on the money line for sure. All right. Uh, Niners, look, I think the Niners handle the Packers. Uh, we talked about it yesterday. I think there's a big gap between Tampa, Detroit, Green Bay, and San Francisco in the NFC. And so I think that 49ers are going to the Super Bowl. But I have to tell you, like as a Niner fan, there's only one team that I think can beat the 49ers, and I think it's Baltimore. And so as a Niner fan, yeah, I, I kind of am looking at Houston, and I'm looking at the winner of Kansas City, Buffalo, and going, okay, knock out Baltimore, do San Francisco a favor, because I just think the Niners are built to handle KC or Buffalo or Houston, but we have seen them not handle Baltimore, and it has to do with the quarterback. Yeah, that is an interesting thought because the 49ers, that, I mean, that's the one thing, John, is that Christmas Day game. You go back to that, the Ravens, 49ers, we were all excited for it in San Francisco, and Baltimore just punched them right in the face from the get-go, and it wasn't even a game. So I think for you, like as a 49er fan, that's the one thing I worry about is, is the NFC actually just really bad and San Francisco is the best of a bad bunch, or the 49ers an actually elite team? I lead they're more of an elite team, and I think that – you know, the NFC is kind of both, but the, the NFC is not as good. But the Niners are an elite team that should get to the Super Bowl and compete. I just, you know, I, I think I, I think it's going to be tough if they play either Baltimore or Buffalo. I think Buffalo is very spicy in the AFC with Josh Allen, the way he's playing. As long as they didn't turn the ball over, that team is great. And then, uh, you know, obviously playing in Buffalo with that weather, like Josh Allen fits that offense, fits that weather perfectly. I think teams going there uh, is going to be tough. So if Baltimore does get upset by Houston, you know, Houston going into Buffalo or the Kansas City, not going to happen. So I, I think you're right. 49ers have a good, shine, good chance to get to the Super Bowl. I think they get to the Super Bowl, but I'm looking back at their schedule for the year, and I'm going to throw out the, the season-ending game because they don't play everybody in that game. But, you know, the Niners lost only four real games during the season. Three of them came to AFC teams, Cleveland, Cincinnati, and Baltimore. I think that's really interesting. Is it a tell? Is the AFC the better conference? You tell me. Tweet at me, at John Canzano BFT. We'll talk about it coming up. Uh, Jerry Palm, CBS Sports Bracketology expert, will join us in the 5 o'clock hour to talk about the Ducks. Are they in the tournament? Yes, but uh, what does he make of the Pac-12? Leave it here. I appreciate everybody who makes this radio show part of their day, particularly if you're out of rhythm and you're still checking in. And by out of rhythm, you know what I mean. You've got an orbit that you're in. It's why you see the same people over and over at the coffee shop who are also in an orbit and you just happen to intersect with them or you see the same neighbor when you go out and you get into your car at a certain time of day or if you go to the gym, you run into the same folks or you see the same folks in the gym or the grocery store or whatever your habit is. I would be kind of a nightmare for an assassin. I don't have a rhythm that way, but I have a neighbor named Tom. I've told you about him. Goes to the coffee shop at a certain hour. Goes for a walk with his friends at a certain hour. On Saturday, uh, when weather's good, I know he's going to be in his driveway washing his car. Like, if you were an assassin, you'd be like, this is the easiest thing ever. Know where that guy's going to be all the time. There'd be no casing involved in that. For me, I'd be a little more elusive. You have to work a little harder. Matt Prem of 24-7 Sports. uh, I originally had him booked in this segment. But he's dealing with what you guys are dealing with, a lot of you out there. He told me a branch fell and crushed the meter box outside his house. He has no power. He had to go to Starbucks this afternoon to charge his phone. So um, I I told him, let's just, let's do tomorrow, if that works for you. 
Um, I try to I try to be mindful of what's going on with you know people who are dealing with circumstances. His family being warm and having power to their house way more important than him coming on this radio show and talking about stuff. I have lots to talk about and I'll do it here. Uh, by the way, did you happen to catch? Stephen, the Todd Bowles question, there was a reporter in Tampa who tees up a question for the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers coach, Todd Bowles. They're going on they're going to play Detroit this weekend in Detroit. And I know how this goes down. Reporter at the station is dispatched. It's not the normal sports reporter, dispatched to a news conference. She's going to be asking Todd Bowles a question. Trying not to be an apologist here for her, but it, you know, there's part of this that is like, come on. And the reporter shows up to the news conference and asks Todd Bowles about if he's making any kind of accommodations for the weather in Detroit because it's 13 degrees in Detroit. And Bowles takes all of the patience that he has in his body to kind of listen thoughtfully to the question. She even mentions at one point, you know, you know, you're you know, you're going in there, you're going into Detroit, you know, have you done anything different from a weather standpoint to prepare your team? And Bulls like he could have came out of his shoes. A lot of coaches probably would. But instead Bulls just kind of patiently and thoughtfully says like you know that they play in a dome, play indoors. <laughs> and and uh he says uh so no, I have not made any kind of special preparations or accommodations how much of that do you do you put on the reporter because maybe i'm being too fair to her because i know how that goes down it's 10 a.m morning meeting you're in tampa at some tv station the sports reporters are working nights and weekends so they win a playoff game and uh obviously the buccaneers you know need the the station needs sound and so they send uh, a reporter who doesn't really know sports, doesn't cover the NFL, hasn't been tuned into any of that stuff. They send a reporter out to the news conference, and she's just not prepared to ask the question. Stephen, how much of that is on her, her station? How much of that do you kind of just uh, look at and you dismissed as you dismiss it as, you know, that's just going to happen? Um, you know, what do you make of that situation? Well. Yeah, okay. Here, let, let's play. I'm going to play it for you real quick, John. Then yeah, we can play it. then we can come up with the answer after we okay. hear all the all the evidence. Coach, you, you. Uh, looking forward towards um, Detroit. Um, the weather has been a factor in some of the playoff games, even for the most prepared teams. Uh, today it's uh, 13 in uh, Detroit, which doesn't compare to some of the temperatures we tend to to. Any special plans to acclimate the team to not only uh, endure but perform in those kind of frigid temperatures should you face them in Detroit? You do know we play indoors, right? And they got a dome. I don't um, No, nothing planned. We're, we're indoors and we only have to be outside for 20 seconds getting off the bus going under the thing, so we'll be okay. <laughs> It's it's on her. It's on her as much as I don't want it to be, but it is. Like I understand, like maybe she doesn't watch sports, but she should probably have researched that question. It's all about being prepared, right? Like you know that as a as a journalist and as a yep. you know guy who does the radio show, like you have to be fully prepared for anything. You you know you send us the show sheet. There's there's not you know usually it's just 
you know, hey, we're going to talk about whatever we talk about. And, you know, that's what we talk about on the day. you got to be prepared at all times. Uh, so you got to do your research. I, I kind of put it on her. Now, I, Todd Bowles handled it great. I don't, you know, it was nice to hear him not be Raider, not to say anything mean or anything, just answer the totally. question. Um, so it was refreshing to hear that. I'll say Todd Bowles handled that perfectly, but I'm going to put it on her, man. She's She's got to know a little bit better. And and the first time I heard it, I thought she said, you know, I, I know you play indoors, but she doesn't. She says, you know, have you done anything to acclimate your team to the weather and endure? And he <laughs> he says, well, we, we only are going to be outside for like, <laughs> for like 15 seconds um you know as they get off the bus and then go <laughs> go into the uh, into the dome um it is on her but i know how that goes down because she's not the sports reporter if she were a sports reporter she would know that and she's not she's somebody who's being dispatched probably from the news side who is used to covering weather who's used to covering city hall and is sent over there and said, hey, ask a question. She says, I don't know what to ask. I bet you some producer told her to ask that. I don't know if she got set up. That's the thing. Do you think someone set her up? Well, that could be possible because I know that I've asked people, like, hey, you got any questions for this person, or what would be a good question? Like, I remember I went to Blazer Media Day, and I asked you, like, oh, what would be a good question to ask, you know, Joe Cronin or whatever? Like, I, I think that maybe someone was setting her up. Like, I, you know, I want to call it conspiracy. Maybe someone doesn't like her, and they wanted her to uh, sound dumb right there. It's possible, okay? I'm not going to say that's what happened, but it's possible that somebody thought that would be really funny, and she said, what should I ask? And they said, ask this, knowing that she was going to look like an idiot asking it. But uh, the bigger thing, like you hit on it, like Todd Bowles, he could have, he could have just, like, you know, if I covered Bobby Knight. She asked that question to Bobby Knight. I'm just, I begin ducking as it's coming, like the question's coming out of her mouth. I'm like, I'm running for cover in the room because it's going to go bad. And so I think it says a lot about him that he sort of politely and gracefully allowed her to ask the question <laughs> that says, you know, we play indoors, we play in a dome, don't you? Um, what? How much of a factor is the fact that, you know, teams that play in wildcard weekend in the divisional round advance to play against um, teams that are well-rested. How much in your mind does that factor in the game? Because I'm trying to like think about the 49ers. It's been several weeks since they actually played a competitive game because they kind of laid down and rested guys in the last week of the season. Does that become a factor? I think it does a little bit. I, I think it does matter on who the players, who the coaching staff is, who the um you know who, who those people are? I, I look at Brock Purdy. It's only his second season in the NFL. I think it is a little strange that he basically got three weeks off without playing game action. And I know you can simulate some of it in practice, but I feel like it's going to be a different speed in the playoffs. Uh, and with three weeks off, I think it may be a little uh, risky to do that. But I also put a lot of trust in Kyle Shanahan to put him in the right spot. So. Um, I think if you're a veteran player, I mean, I think you can just kind of lace your shoes up and go out there and play and make some plays while you're out there. But I, I do think it will affect maybe some of the younger guys that still are gaining experience in the NFL where, you know, maybe the first takes the first quarter to get them ready. And then, you know, a team can come out and jump on them. So How about I, rested teams like, you know, Houston played Baltimore sat, you know, the Packers yeah. played the Niners sat, you know, obviously the Buccaneers Alliance both played, but you know, when you look at that game that you're picking Houston to play close, they're like a nine, nine and a half point underdog to the Ravens on the road. 
I, you know, how much do you think about the fact that Houston had to play? Well, I think it's good, especially for a team like Houston who's younger. I, I think when you're when you're younger and you don't know as much, you want to stay in a rhythm. Like you said, we're all off our rhythms right now because of the ice and the cold and the snow and everything. Houston's on a rhythm right now, and they're playing really well. And C.J. Stroud is on target. Jordan Love, same thing with the Packers, on target, playing with a nice rhythm going forward. I think when you're a younger team and a younger quarterback is in charge, it's going to be good to have that game from the week before. You just want to play again. You want to play again and get going. So I think it does favor those teams in that way. Uh, but I think ultimately, you know, it's going to come down to the coaching staffs and how they can put their players on the field and put them in the right spots for these other players, you know, with like Brock Purdy and things like that. Let's play some punch it audio. We got great sound. We'll take a trip around the world of sports now. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Fish Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Well, Bill Belichick's out as the coach of the Patriots, 24 seasons there. Jared Mayo taking over. He's trying to manage expectations in his introductory news conference. Punch it. Bill always says this, managing expectations. For me, I'm not trying to be Bill. I'm not trying to be Bill. I think that Bill is his own man. Uh, If you can't tell by now, I'm a little bit different even up here. Uh, But what I will say is, you know, the more I think about, the more I think about, like, the lessons that I've taken from Bill, hard work works, right? Hard work works, and and that's what we're all about. Hard work works. Mayo's got a tough act to follow, but it's not the same as Kalen DeBoer to Alabama, where you're replacing Nick Saban, who just went to the playoff. You're replacing Bill Belichick, who has struggled without Tom Brady. I think it's a little easier lift for Mayo. I think he's in a better position because of it. Another guy being introduced, Brent Brennan, goes from San Jose State to Arizona, where he replaces Jed Fish. He had a team meeting with the Arizona players. Here's Brennan at his news conference when he was asked what he told the Arizona players at the meeting. Punch it. I was just, I was just really honest with them. That's, that's how I operate, you know, and so I just... I get it. Like they're they're a little bit hurt, right? Like it's tricky like that. And the reason I can say that is because I just did that to a team yesterday, right? Like yesterday morning before I got on the plane to come down here, I had to meet with the team at San Jose State. It was really really hard, really really emotional. And you know if if you do build it right, and if your team is connected on a level that gives you a chance to be successful on Saturdays in the fall, they are going to be super connected. So when a piece of it leaves. There's going to be some fallout, right? And so I was just honest with them. I just asked them to give me a chance to earn their trust, treat each other with respect, and the trust will be earned over time. And then I promised them I'd surround them with a great coaching staff and and people that care about their development and who they are as men. He was really smart. When he walked into the room, he first pointed out that, you know, hey, look, um, I was was an assistant here. I, I, I was on Dick's Tomey's staff. And, and he pointed to his wife, and he said, my wife was a student here. And he pointed out that his brother played at Arizona. And it feels a lot more like, you know, he is going, He's. I mean, he said it, he's doubling down on family. Punch it. I think lots of schools talk about family, and I think it's a cliche thing in the football world. 
I don't think anybody did it better than Coach Tomey here. When I'm seeing all these former players, my brother was a former player, um, and how they still interact and the outpouring that, of, of love that I've, that I've gotten from them since this has all gone down. And that's what we are going to continue to do. We are going to double down on family, double down in, on loving each other and caring about each other, and we will build something you can all be proud of. Got to double down on it, and, you know, I, I think he's a threat to stay there for a while, and I think it's a threat that that job ends up being the best hire of the recent cycle of coaches. Well, how quickly do you think – because they don't need a turnaround. They could be really no. good. I've just read now on Twitter, there's a lot of guys that are entering the portal uh, from Arizona, sure. which is expected. But, you know, they were number 11 to finish the season. They could have been top 15 going into next year. Is it realistic to think Brennan comes in year one, they win the Big 12? I think uh, they'll struggle with Utah. But I think it's realistic they could be a top three team in that conference right away. He's a really good coach, especially on the offensive side. And you look at their schedule going to the Big 12, it helps them. That, that conference is not better than the conference they just played in. And so I think they'll be right there at the top of that conference with, with Utah. And I think Brennan's going to – look, it's sneaky good. It's not a sexy hire. Brennan came in second in the Oregon State race. I texted with him after he didn't get the job at Oregon State. And he said, it's okay. I'm where I'm supposed to be. He was speaking about San Jose State. I think he ended up with a better job. He also applied and was a finalist for Arizona job a couple years ago when Jed Fish got the job. He he missed out on it. And they t- you know he that talked about that as well. So he's always been looking to get to this spot. So I think you're right. Like he really appreciates where he's going to be. I think he's got a really good chance to win. He's got a lot of energy. I think he's really smart. Uh, ESPN Milwaukee host says something. Is it poor form? He basically says, and this guy's name is Chewy. So take it with a grain of salt. He so, says yes. it would it would be good for the Packers to give Brock Purdy a late hit early in the game. Punch but it. But Gabe, I go back and it's little things like this. And the reason we won in '95 when no one gave us a chance in San Francisco is because we intimidated them. I mean, if you and I always revert to Wayne Simmons. Wayne Simmons kicked the crap out of Brent Jones, and then it got contagious, and then it carried over. That's why you guys are going to think I'm crazy. Well, we already thought uh, that, so go ahead. A 15-yard penalty, and I don't condone this, but I kind of do in the playoffs. <laughs> um, a 15-yard penalty for a late hit on Brock Purdy is not a bad thing, as long as it's worth it. I, mm. I'm just saying, this but, is so the mindset you time. go into when it's battle, and it's it's kind of like the reverse of hockey. What don't they do in hockey in the playoffs, Joshy? Shave their beards? That and one other thing. They don't fight. They don't fight. They don't fight. Right? This is kind of like sometimes a 15-yard penalty is worth it early in the game if you knock the living crap out of the guy. And then he kind of like sticking your helmet in the ribs of Nick Bosa is like, ah, I'm hearing ghosts. This is tacky. It's poor form. It's tasteless. I mean... I guess. Is there any truth to it, though? Do you think coaches are saying, hey, you know, if you need to take a shot on Brock Purdy late, go for it? I think that that defensive players have always felt like, you know, we saw it with the Saints back in the day in bounty, in their bounty system that they were uh, fostering. Hit him in the head, attack the head. You know, I think defensive players sometimes will give him a little extra. But 
I just I think what he's talking about is a cheap shot, and I I just don't I don't see the point of that. Like, yeah, should should you know, is it a good thing? Like in a playoff game, should somebody have just punched Michael Jordan in the throat? Like when he went up for his first jumper, would that have been effective? You know, I guess the Pistons tried tried to do some of that back in the day. I just don't like it. I don't like people. Uh, I don't like people talking that way. I don't either. I feel like it's one of those things where that's. And if it's true or not, whether it is, it, it, that needs to be staying in the locker room. Like, that's a locker room topic. Like, you don't need to bring that out into the public, it's, Mark Chimura. It's different. Like, we have all watched players at the end of a play. A defensive player gives an offensive player a little something extra. Like, you've seen it. There's just a little something extra on the tackle. And, But I think you lose respect, and I think you also now are in an era where the officials are far more tuned into like, you know, unnecessary roughness and late hits and stuff like that. And... I just think it, you know, like, yeah, I, you know, we, we saw one of my favorite movies as a kid, Karate Kid. Come on. You know, sweep the leg, baby. You know, like, <laughs> it, Cobra Kai. But I just don't see why a radio show host should be talking about it. Like, that's, you know, that's the topic. You got to do better than that. Kyle Brandt, NFL Network, he did better. He's talking about the Bills and the Chiefs. Is it time for the Bills to finally break through? They're at home. They're a a two-and-a-half-point favorite on Sunday against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. Here's the thing about this division, about this this rivalry. We just saw it. They're three and three, right? There's a whole big asterisk on it. They're like, okay, the Bills get them in the regular season. They're three and one. And it's every time they beat the Chiefs in the regular season, it's always like, we'll we'll see at the end of the year. That's great. You can have your little victory. You can do it here. You can do it there. We'll see you at the end of the year. And I just feel like this is a massive, massive deal for Allen, for the Bills, because if the Chiefs get this one again, Mm. and now it's like, not only do we get you again, we went to your cute little Western New York location and all your snow and all your tables and all your wings, and we beat you again. Um, I mean, this is the one. Taylor Swift in Buffalo for this playoff game. Steven, you kind of think this is going to be the one. Do you think that it will it is this the Bills year to break through or do you just think they that they have to break through or this year or they never are? I think it's a little of both. I think they break through, but I think if they don't win this game, like I think it's time to really consider, hey, what are we doing here? Like there needs to be a shakeup to the core. Uh it just hasn't worked in the playoffs and I think that's what it's going to be, but I I think Buffalo is good this season. I think they're really good, but I also think this isn't a great Kansas City team, John. It's more I think, for me, it's almost more of a bet that I think Kansas City's not as good as they have been. And I look at the, you know their wide receivers. Even Travis Kelsey hasn't been as effective in the playoffs or in the regular season. They have one guy, Rasheed Rice, and that's about it. Pacheco, he's a solid running back, but not great. I don't love the Kansas City offense, and so I just think if the Buffalo Bills can't get it done this week, this weekend, in Buffalo, with the weather, with the fa- being the favorite, they're never going to get it done against the Chiefs. So I, I think it is put up or shut up for the Bills. Like, if they don't win this game, they need to shake up the core real bad. I think it's still got kind of this aura about the game because the, the fact that we haven't seen the Bills do it when it counts uh, is still in my mind. Patrick Mahomes talking about his first road playoff game in his career. He's been, you know, he's had a bunch of home playoff games, three Super Bowls. Here's Mahomes. Punch it. It just is what it is. Um, obviously, I've been lucky enough to play a lot of games at home at Arrowhead Stadium. It kind of just everything's fell that way. Um, but now we get a great opportunity to go on the road, play in a hostile environment, one that I haven't been able to play with, stand, with fans in the stands. 
Um, and even though I know it's going to be hostile and it's gonna, there, there are going to be people talk trash and everything like that, I'm excited for it because, I mean, it's one of the best environments in football, and you want to do that when you grow up watching these games is play in the best environments and see what it's like. Yeah, look, great environments. I think it's lost on a lot of people that the Chiefs had had those home games. A lot easier to win in the playoffs at home than the road, obviously. Mahomes and the Chiefs, though, they've been very experienced. They, you know, they've got a shot in this game, obviously. They're on the road, but they're only a two-and-a-half-point underdog. Jed Fish introduced as the new head coach, University of Washington. Mike Farrell came on this show. He works at the Seattle Times. Talked about uh, how expectations change for Jed Fish in year one. Punch it. I think they're pretty different. I think, you know, given what DeBoer was building and the improvements that he had made in the transfer portal and addressing some of their issues, I felt like this was a team that could go into the Big Ten and certainly, you know, compete to win nine or ten games. I I thought that was fair. And now when you look at what Jed Fish has to work with, he might get some of these guys back from the portal who are sort of testing the waters, seeing what it looks like, and, and a number of those guys could come back. But as I said... I haven't seen many situations where you're going into a spring potentially, and right now you're in January and you have 64 scholarship players. Uh, that is alarming. That's that's almost like a Dion situation in terms right. of what they might have to do here to fix that. So it's going to be a completely different team. I think right now if they are a bowl team next year, if they win eight games, if they go eight and four, that that's a successful season for Jed Fish. I, I, don't, I don't think you talk about competing for a Big Ten championship. I think you – Talk about being competitive in the Big Ten, winning some Big Ten football games. If you go eight and four, that is seen as, as a solid uh, first step, you know, in a larger journey. And I, I think that's kind of how he couched it as well. They're not they're not talking about championships um, right now, right this instant. I think they're talking about winning games and building their roster and building something that they can sustain for years to come. All right, we can all say that, and it sounds good. It looks good on paper. It's logical. But I just wonder, will Washington fans really buy on with that and have patience? And I also am looking over at Oregon and thinking, gosh, Dan Lanning and Oregon have to be a little bit giddy. This is a program that has plagued Oregon, beat them three times in the last two years, and DeBoer is gone. And so I think it's one less thing for the Ducks to think about as Washington is getting a new coach. Anna pops into the studio, and in the 5 o'clock hour, Jerry Palms, CBS Sports. He is the foremost bracketology expert in the country. We'll talk some college basketball with Palm coming up at 5 o'clock, 524 to be exact. Kind of a sad story. I mean, a really sad story today in the NBA. Um, Warriors assistant Dayon Milojevic died at the age of 46, suffered a heart attack. The, the Warriors, Warriors jazz game tonight has been uh, postponed because of that. Um, I saw the NBA issued a statement. Um, Anna's popped into the studio. Dies in Salt Lake City. Um, Warriors assistant, obviously jarring, and he was at a team dinner, and uh, he just collapsed in downtown Salt Lake City, was rushed to a hospital. His family flew into Utah this morning, and um, obviously the Warriors and their, their team are devastated by this, and in his third season as an assistant coach for the Warriors. He played 14 years in Serbia. He's known as the Serbian Barkley. Won three Adriatic League MVP awards. Moved into coaching. He's a guy who uh, most famously coached Nikola Jokic with the uh, Nuggets, one of the greatest centers of all time. Um, pretty That's sad stuff, Anna. It is, and 
you know, he's 46 years old. Like, that's just, it's still so young. And to have it happen in this way, it looks like that there were efforts to try and keep him alive. You know, I think the earlier reports today was that he was receiving medical treatment, but ultimately um, that did not work. Stephen, uh, you you know his impact on players like Nikola Jokic. Um, what did you know about uh, Milojevic before this? Yeah, I mean, it, he it's just a guy that everyone loved. Everyone seemed to love with the Warriors organization and seemed to love like throughout the NBA circles, whether it was the media or it was players. So it's just one of those things where you know he he not only connected with guys who were you know overseas, you know European players that came over, but he also connected with like American players, which I think is the toughest thing as a head coach or not a head coach, but an assistant coach or any coach of any kind in the NBA when you're dealing with so many nationalities. Like you have to put them all together and you got to blend it up and you got to make it work. And he was one of those guys that you know he connected with everybody. So it's just it's uh, sad to hear you know when that kind of stuff happens, especially just in the middle of a season. Like I couldn't even imagine what the Warriors players are going through. Uh, when you're around that guy, you know, every single day you're working with him every single day, and then all of a sudden he's uh, he's just gone. Um, I have this thing, you know, I because I travel quite a bit, and I've been, you know, I'm in airports, I'm in rental cars, I'm in hotels. I can't imagine his family having to fly into Salt Lake City to be there, you know, as he's pronounced dead or whatnot. I have this weird thing. Like, you know, we who, who was the comedian who slipped and hit his head in the uh, hotel room? Bob Saget. That Bob Saget, yeah. you know. I and mean, every time I hear a story like that, I feel I think about how sad it is because that's not, you know, you don't want to go anywhere at the age of 46. <laughs> you don't want to go too soon at any time. But I'm actually a little bit um, comforted by the fact that he was at a team dinner and rather than, like, you know, they found him in his hotel room. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's just me. Yeah. That a me thing, a fear that I have. Because I always say that, and I joke around about it. Like, if I'm renting a car, I'll be like, you know, I want the full-size SUV. Because, you know, if if I'm on the road and I'm in an accident, I want to be in a car that, you know, I'm not, I don't want to be like my last thought to be, well, I saved $8, you know? So this poor guy, his family having to fly into Salt Lake City, it's triggering for me. And I can't think, like, I can't imagine 46, two, that's just too young. Yeah, it's... uh. And, you know, my my thought, and maybe this is too soon to even talk about it, but my gosh, the, the Warriors were already struggling at this point in the season, and then to have this happen is just crushing for them. Yeah, and they canceled the game. NBA uh, obviously issuing a statement earlier today. I didn't want to make it my big splash. I was tempted to make it the big splash, but I thought, you know, this guy dying shouldn't be like the big splash. <laughs> You know, at, at a team trite. dinner. It just felt a little bit like poor form. And I, I wondered as the big splash was playing, if Steven or Judah or anybody else was thinking, you know, I wonder if he, if, why he didn't do the NBA guy. It, the reason was I just thought I don't want – I didn't want it to be like a celebratory thing. The big splash is, you know, it was better to go with a story I think that was a little more understated and talk about this a little bit in uh, greater form. Well, and you think about the toll that it takes – I mean, to travel like that, you know, you have it um, not to the extent of what an NBA team would experience, obviously, over the course of a season, but you understand, like, physically what that does to you, and also kind of how it's easy to let your health take a backseat, because when you're working and traveling, you know, it's hard to get in a workout, and it's hard to 
be consistent about eating well. I'm not saying that those were factors in his death, but for anybody who travels extensively for work, you know that you almost have to make it a priority to, you know, to value yeah. your health when you are on the road all the time. When he was playing, he was 6'7", 254. He's a big human being. Mm -hmm. yeah. So you know, I saw the nickname, the Serbian Charles Barkley, and I immediately <laughs> thought, like, you know, Charles Barkley was not like a bastion of health when you looked at him. And you do find in the NFL and in the NBA, we do find some of the guys that were bigger bodies who have issues. Mm -hmm. They have heart issues. They have other things going on. But 46, way too young for a guy that, um, you know, was not just a really good player, but had become a really good coach. Um, and you're right about the, the toll, but... I also look. The Warriors have a team plane. Yeah, they have. They're staying in five star hotels. It's not the same as me on a Southwest Airlines flight in a middle seat, <laughs> changing planes in you know Denver. You know, and I'm going. This this is really hard on my body. You know, but I still think the grind of the season. Yeah, it's a stressful job. They're in cities. I think the NBA is the most difficult travel schedule of them all mm -hmm. you're in a city for a day or two and you're gone city mm -hmm. day or two are gone and there's probably is a little bit from the coaching staff standpoint you really probably have to be careful about what you're eating and how much exercise you're getting because it's stress bad diet travel and all that that adds up mm -hmm. and you know everybody knows like if you're stressed and fatigued that's not when you're eating your best. That's when you're reaching yeah. for, like, chips at 11 o'clock at night. You well, know? fatigue does something to you <laughs> mentally, like, sci scientifically. It it mimics hunger. Mm -hmm. And so people often, when they are really tired at night, will think, if I ate something, I'll feel better. It, and, you know, and that's not true. You're just going to uh, be carrying a bunch of extra calories. And I thought it was interesting when we had Dan Lanning on the show. You know, I was looking back at photos of Dan Lanning from... Um, early in his tenure at Oregon mm -hmm. to this season mm -hmm. because uh, the photographers who do the work for me, I was kind of compiling file footage of like, here's Dan Lanning when they played Georgia last year, two years ago. Here's Dan Lanning when they played against Colorado this year. His weight is way down. Mm -hmm. He is very svelte right now. <laughs> and he was talking about the fact that, you know, he eats a shake and he sent me like, the shake that he's eating or he's drinking. Do you eat a shake? Do you drink a shake? And then he doesn't snack at night. And, um, you know, he eats a, a dinner. He engorges himself, but then he doesn't do a bunch of snacking late at night. And I think just, like, by following some simple rules, you could be a little healthier. But Lanning's dropped. I, I have to say he's probably dropped 20 pounds from the Georgia game in his first year. He's just, he looked fat, you know? and 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 I think he knows that. And so I think there was a conscious effort there. And look, Chip Kelly struggled with his weight. We saw Chip Kelly. He got a little portly, you know, <laughs> and we've watched coaches do it because the job is just not it's a stressful job. You are constantly recruiting and traveling. And the coaches will tell you when they go on those home visits for recruiting. Nowadays, they're getting into three and four homes. Guess what? Mama's making a meal at every home. <laughs> And you got to eat it. You better eat it. You have to eat it. You know, and that puts a lot of pressure on these coaches because if they don't eat the meal, they look they look like they're rude. So they're eating maybe yeah. like two dinners a I, night. I had the, I, I had a, a very I had a similar thing happen in college. I had there was a girl that I was that I had gone on a date with. Okay. 
and she was uh, she was Arabic, mm-hmm. and her family did not approve because mm-hmm. I am not Arabic, mm-hmm. and so her family lived in the San Francisco Bay Area and required her to bring me home for a meal, mm-hmm. and so we traveled from college to her hometown, and uh, I was you know her I had to stay with her older brothers. They had their own apartment somewhere else, okay. and I, I stayed with the older brothers, and when I got to the older brother's house, they served me pizza. Okay. Okay? Like, yeah. they ordered a pizza, you know, eat, you know, whatever, and yeah. so I did. I ate pizza. Yeah, good I host. filled up on pizza, uh-huh. and then we went over to the parents' house, and the mother had prepared this huge meal, <laughs> and I looked at the two brothers like, oh, <laughs> and I knew I was hosed, and I sat there, and I ate the the food it was spicy it was ample they kept putting food on my plate classic persian meal i i almost excused myself to use the bathroom and just said i need to like do like the romans do here because i'm i'm in a bad position i felt so sick oh no needless to say it did not work out yeah parental and you know your parents did not approve well apparently the brothers didn't the the brothers were not and they're Look not them, watching out for their little. We were sister. just friends, kind of, you know, like you know, <laughs> she was a nice girl. But it was, uh, you know, I, I keep thinking about like Dan Lanning going on home visits in four houses. Yeah. Like you got to eat. Uh-huh. And then what do you do? Yeah. You like to go to four buffets in like a five hour period. <laughs> Good luck. Have fun with that. All right. Coming up, we have much more. Leave it here. You got the BFT. Is it fun to be a college sports fan right now? Do you? I mean, maybe I'm just out in left field, but I kind of feel like the NFL playoffs, you know, are a reminder of um, you know the NFL is still king when it comes to sports. But I don't know, like, which people used to ask me, like, what sport do you enjoy covering the most? And I would always answer college football. And I don't know right now given that it's a moving target, if that answer will stay the same. I guess I'll say it's the same until I experience the new world of college football. But is it still the most fun? Is that, why is the NFL king? If so, why? And, and I'm kind of wondering about Mark Cuban selling his interest in the Dallas Mavericks. Um, if that is a signal that the NBA is about to undergo a regression of some kind. Who's the healthiest? What sport is the healthiest? 503-417-7575. What do you see? Take Let's take a health assessment. You know, once a year, maybe you get a physical. Maybe, guys, come on. Maybe you get a physical once a year. And doctor says, all right, here's your cholesterol. Let's, t- let's take a physical. Take the temperature. Take the readings on professional sports and college sports. What feels healthy to you right now? What doesn't? Steven, is the NBA in trouble? Is Cuban distancing himself in ownership of the Mavericks a red flag? Um, I think I think yes a little bit. Um, I know there's a lot of people that don't like the NBA because of what they do off the court, like how they stance politically and stuff like that. I know there's a lot of people that have really tuned out the NBA because of that and they feel like you know they they're trying to push their own narrative onto everybody and they don't like that. Where I know in the NFL they do that as well, but it's not as much. I think the NBA a lot of times with the players and the way that they um speak out about things as well. I think a lot of people it turns them off as well. So I think the NBA definitely um 
I wouldn't say they're in trouble, but I do think it's just kind of a red flag that Mark Cuban's like, yeah, you know what? I'm I'm good. Like I don't want to necessarily be a part of this day to day every day. I'm gonna do do some other things like that. But um, I, I think if you're talking healthiest, it's got to be the NFL. Like I just don't know what else touches it. The NFL just says anybody can do anything. We're gonna put you, put an NFL on every single day, and it's gonna beat every other sport, every other event. We're gonna get the most ratings. We're gonna get the most viewers. It doesn't matter. We we, we can basically run whatever we want at any point. I had I have to say that as the NFL put a playoff game on Peacock over the weekend, somebody asked me, do you think pay-per-view will become a thing? And I'm like, this kind of is pay-per-view because people are being asked to download Peacock and play, pay $11.99 to sign up for the service. I know I know I had to. Did you do it? Did you I, say I'm going to do it? Did you did you try to spend five ninety nine or eleven ninety nine? What'd you do? I spent the five ninety nine. You know, I'm I'm going to save save a couple bucks here and there, but I I went the five ninety nine route because that's what we had to. Me and my wife were talking. We we're like, well, what are we going to do? Like, are we just not going to watch the game? Like, is that is that really an option? Especially with all the weather and the kids are home, are we really just not going to watch the playoff game? We're like, no, we gotta we gotta fork over six bucks this month, and then we can cancel at the end of the month if we really want to, but. I, like we had to do it. Like you know, we wanted to watch the sports. We wanted to watch the event. It was a big playoff game. My dad is a huge NFL fan. He skipped it. He was like, I don't want to have to download an app and pay extra for it. But he's seventy-seven, so he's not like I think. I don't think he's reflective of like the rest of the market. I think that um, twenty-four million people tuned into that game. Now it's funny because Peacock, NBC, and Peacock did did they wouldn't break out. How many of those people were actually streaming on the app versus otherwise? But I did notice that the Peacock app, as I went to download it, was the number one trending app over the weekend. And so I think a lot of people were signing up for Peacock. I think it amounted to pay-per-view. Now, the NFL can get away with it, but I had to wonder, were the Pac-12 presidents and chancellors sitting around on the weekend going, well, I guess we were wrong. People will stream. Build it, and they will come. Uh, I do think Mark Cuban's selling, though. He sold $3.5 billion, his majority stake in the Dallas Mavericks. He sold it to uh, the Adelson family, the controlling shareholder of the Las Vegas Sands Corporation. He still retains 25% of the Mavericks, but no doubt, Mark Cuban, he no dummy. He's cashing out. Yeah, and he's not one to uh, buy high and sell low, so that is a strong indicator. I mean, I think when you have so many people interested in the NFL every week with the parity of the games and consistently the potential for a game to be just a great game, that's going to win. My problem with the NBA is that half the time when I tune in, it feels like the game is so lopsided Mm. that I'm like, this is boring. The quality of play looks boring to me, and I can't, I can't bring myself too many games. to love it anymore. Yeah, Maybe too... there's too many as well. I mean, but come March, we'll all be tuned in and watching college basketball. I mean, that for But those games all count, and they matter. And I think part of the NBA problem is huge disparity in talent and roster, small market teams generally struggling. And too many games, 82 games in the regular season. Do you think season. that's going to hurt college football with it going to the 12-team playoff? Because already 15 games. I mean, Michigan went 15 and no. Like thinking to the conference championship games, a lot of games, those games won't even matter because these teams are already in the playoffs together. It, it could, and also I think you're going to see some overlap, more overlap with the NFL, with the NFL playing on Thursdays and Saturdays and Sundays and Mondays. Uh, look out because head to head with the NFL. Some of those college games won't do well. Mark in Portland is called in. Mark, what's up, man? 
Hey, how's it going? Uh, just, uh, I, I think the NFL still rules because, I mean, it, the game sells itself. It's a gladiator sport. We love football. And they have a, a, a playoff that is, I mean, you know, it's nobody really knows what's going to happen, John. Anybody could predict that Houston was going to not just beat Cleveland, destroyed the best defense in the NFL during the regular season. And Green Bay destroying a top-five defense in Dallas um, on their home field. So it's it's uh, it doesn't matter who's playing uh, in these playoff games. It's it's exciting. You you really don't know what's going to happen. Uh, I certainly proved that with my betting over the weekend. But um, I I just think that, and I I disagree with uh, everybody uh, casting doubt on next year's college football season. I think it's going to be the best season we've ever had because the postseason is going to be more real than it ever has it's not a fake uh where you know one conference gets uh five new year's day bowl games and everything's rigged by the elites this is uh settling it on the field it's getting closer i still think there should be more playoff teams i think all conference champions i don't care if it's the wac whatever conference it is we should settle it on the field the more the merrier a playoff like that is going to attract interest and look look at the four team playoff this year. I mean, it, it it was exciting to me. I mean, it was you you felt like all four teams deserve to be there. They're all conference champions, and adding that to twelve teams is just going to make it more exciting. It's going to make it like an NFL playoff. How and, will and the that, that's how will the big conferences <laughs> rig the twelve team playoff? Uh, they they will try to get you know four teams in. From the SEC and the Big Ten, I, I yeah. know that's coming. I mean, if that's why I say if you're somebody like Oregon State, you your game against Oregon is huge. That's a big game for them because if they lose a conference game and win their conference, but they lose to Oregon, so they have two losses, are they going to make the top 12? So I, I, think, uh, I think that those two conferences, they're trying to make it like the NFC and the AFC, and it's going to be very difficult. A lot more difficult, I think, than teams think to get in the playoff if you're not yeah. in the Big Ten or the SEC. Yeah, I keep thinking there's going to be four Big Ten teams, four SEC teams, and then the Big Twelve and everybody else get four teams. So it'll be <laughs> like fair. it'll be like Boise State, and you know, but at least like the Florida State, you know, entry would have got into the twelve team playoff. This would have been the year to get a twelve team playoff. Mm-hmm. Because there were like, you know, I would even like to see Oregon in a 12-team playoff this year. Because I think, you know, look, Washington's in the championship game. They get, you know, just boat raced by Michigan, too physical. But I think Oregon, you know, was Oregon a top three, top four team? I don't know. I'd like to see that played out. Let Oregon play Florida State. Let Oregon play Georgia. You know, let's see it happen. So I think it will be, they'll be intrigued. But I, we also know that when there's money involved, it'll be about money. You know, Kyle Smith, the Washington State coach, said that on yesterday's show. You involve money, it will be about money. So it comes down to that. All right, the 5 at 5 is coming up. Jerry Palm, CBS Sports Bracketology expert, he'll be here at 524. By the way, I I reached out to Palm and I said, hey, uh, you know, how's your weather there? And he said, uh, we're finally above zero for the first time in three days. He's living in the Midwest. Leave it here. Anna is wrestling with... The five at five. She's got six, Stephen. How do you how do you put six stories into a bag that only fits five? 
I will say that's the toughest part about the five of five, John. Sometimes I find too many good stories. And I'd, what what's not what's a leftover? Can you give us the leftovers first? We never do this. Really? Can we eat the leftovers first? Sure. What didn't make your five at five? Ooh. So we know kind of where the line is. You know, everything will be a little bit richer and better than this. <laughs> um, I left out uh, a story about the Clippers' new arena featuring a radical new, like, view of the court. They have this thing they're going to call the wall, which is 51 uninterrupted rows of fans. And season tickets for that section range from five to $25,000. So the wall will be behind the basket. It will require spectators to not cheer for opposing teams or wear their gear. <laughs> 51 uninterrupted rows of Clippers fans. It's standing room only. Oh, they're getting away. This is like an airline trying to fool you into thinking no leg room is a good thing. Are there <laughs> 51 rows of Clipper fans, though? It's <laughs> 300 fans, Stephen. That's a lot of that's a lot of Clipper fans. Yeah, it's an LA Lakers town. I thought we got 286 <laughs> struggling to get the final 14. Picked up a couple of homeless people on the way to the game. Yeah, they just find it. They find an extra, you know, an extra doctor to get them out there. This smacks to me because I was looking at like standing only section. No thanks. <laughs> you know, I'm out. Have you never Two- been in a standing room only section like for a football game yeah. or something? It's a two billion dollar arena. And you don't get a seat, and you're, they're selling you that this is an advantage. I went to the old research stadium. I was in standing room only. Yeah. Well, they're gonna. You bet. You better believe these are gonna be premium seats. Well, maybe I should have included it. You have what a if lot you, to say about it. What this. if the Clippers say, you know what? Not only do you have to be in this row, but you have to carry somebody on your shoulders <laughs> that we're also gonna charge to be on your shoulders yeah. behind the basket. We'll charge them a little less. Yeah. You know. It's $190 per game if you want to stand, and the person on your shoulders only pays, uh, you know, 100 bucks. Mm-hmm. There you go. Okay, I left that Upsell, out. upsell, mm-hmm. yeah. upsell. Okay, so everything is better than that. I love it. Maybe. All right, here we go. The oh. five at five. Okay. The five at five. Number one. I was just going to go down the list of all the stories I left off, but there's not enough Oh, you can tell us more later. Oh, no, yeah, that's okay. Uh, hey, this just in. Adam Schefter saying that Dallas is not making a head coaching change. Cowboys head coach Mike McCarthy will be returning for the 2024 season per sources. Jerry Jones didn't have the heart so far to <laughs> fire his coach. Give him some time. Because, look, Jerry is um, not my favorite owner. I like to pile on. I have to say I grew up not liking the Dallas Cowboys. So seeing Jerry Jones struggle is uh, a whole nother thing. But, man, it, it reminds me, like, you know, he's staying with Mike McCarthy. Uh, you know, who will he blame? It's not going to be the head coach. Whose head will roll? Because somebody will somebody will uh, pay. Because remember, Jerry Jones, you know, after the game, didn't sound too happy. I thought we were in a position. Everybody in this room thought we were in a position to advance this thing in the playoffs and maybe – uh, get as far as our dreams uh, might take us. Uh, we didn't do it. I don't have any thoughts about the reasons why or anything to do with the coaching, anything to do about the players. I want to give uh, Green Bay a lot of uh, uh, 
compliments and uh, credit. Um, and uh, uh, this is uh, one of my most surprises since I've been involved in sport, period. I don't know why, but when he says that, I see the Packers jumping out of a cake going, surprise! And the Cowboys didn't know. You know, here he went. Like, that was him after the loss to the Packers. I want to go back one year ago. One year ago, after being excused at the end of the regular season, Jerry Jones said this. Well, I think this is a time that uh, when you get this combination of players together, you need to uh, have success because we all know how it goes in the NFL. The whole thing is set up to take away from the best and add to the ones that need improvement. And personnel-wise, I think we have one of the best. He said we had a great team. And this year he's saying he's surprised, but he's sticking with Mike McCarthy. A little bit. I'm a little surprised at that. Number two. Northwestern Oklahoma State has hired a name that you might be familiar with. Former NFL coach Jerry Glanville is the team's new defensive coordinator. He last coach in college football, as some of us might remember, from 2007 to 2009 as head coach of the Portland State Vikings. But he's also worked in the past with the Houston Oilers and the Atlanta Falcons and uh, lots of experience. He is 82 years old, signing up to be a defensive coordinator. Fifteen years ago, I had Jerry Glanville on the show every week. He was fantastic. He was a great interview. I'm just not so sure he could recruit anymore and coach anymore. But this this uh, Northwestern Oklahoma State school, whatever it is, uh, they went one in ten last year. So they need some help. Maybe he'll sell some tickets. Here's a clip of Jerry Glanville on this show. He was mad at an opposing coach late in his tenure at Portland State. I hate to say this because uh, you know not stiff enough punishment. The punishment has to equal the crime, and no excuse. For what he said and how he said it, none whatsoever. So make the punishment equal the crime. Uh, I don't believe in uh, light punishment. I, I believe uh, take you to the max, back you up the wall. If you need to be hung from a sour apple tree, uh, hit the horse on the butt and let the let the leg, legs dangle. He won't be boring. I want to get him on the show. I think he'd be a fun interview. He's also 82. I'm dying to know what he's been doing. In the last 14, 15 years. He left tickets for Elvis Presley at Will Call? Every game. On game days? For every team he ever coached. What? Yeah, he believed Elvis <laughs> was going to show up. Number three. Oh, sorry. I got stuck on that little detail there. Hey, uh, Washington hired Brennan Carroll. Does that sound familiar? He's the son of longtime coach Pete Carroll. Uh, Brennan Carroll is Washington's new offensive coordinator, so he's following Jed Fish to Washington, and he will be taking over the same role that he was in at Arizona for the Huskies. The program announced that today. Pete Carroll showed up at Jed Fish's introductory news conference at Washington. He'll be around the program, but Brennan Carroll uh, being part of the Jed Fish Staff, I think, gives at least fans in Washington who are Seahawks fans and Husky fans a little bit of continuity, gives them a little bit of familiarity. I think it probably feels good to those fans to 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 have a Carroll around. And Pete Carroll, I think, would be a great mentor for Jed Fish. I don't think Fish wants him on the staff. I think he made that clear when he was asked about it. He said, oh, he'll be around. 
I don't think he's going to be right in there, but um, I think uh, you know that's a positive development if you are a, a fan of Washington football and a, and a Seahawks fan, nonetheless. Brennan Carroll, good offensive mind. Jetfish is going to have no problem on offense for Washington. The question will be, can he get good enough players to compete in the Big Ten right away? Transfer portal is a problem whenever you have a coaching change, so it'll be really interesting to see how many players he can bring from Arizona. And the problem you have if you're Jed Fish is you got your existing roster, the leftover players who will stay at Washington, and then the only other two pools that are available to you really is your pool of talent at Arizona and then the pool of talent at Alabama. And, you know, programs like Oregon and others also know that. So um, look out. You're in competition with everyone, and the funnel is very narrow. What are we on, four? Yeah, I think so. Number four. Um, you just mentioned this recently, the University of Texas and how effectively they've been getting donors to buy into the program. But guess what? Uh, they just hit a record. They garnered $271 million in operating revenue during the 2023 fiscal year. And that is, a, in fact, a record for NCAA schools. That's almost $100 million more than three years ago. And they, they jumped by $32 million in a year. They're humming. Steve Sarkeesian, no dummy. Ohio State, um, by the way, reported $251 million in 2022. And, but Oregon reported $391 million in 2020, but that included $270 million that was going into the renovation for the track and field stadium. They kind of have to claim it on paper, but it's not real revenue in that way. But uh, the biggest uh, the biggest year over year increases came in gift giving eleven million dollars more than a year ago, ten million dollars more in sponsorships, and almost six million dollars more in ticket sales. So people who were worried that NIL would cannibalize sponsorships and gifts didn't happen at Texas. Sponsorships and gifts went up, even though NIL money was flowing from those sponsors to players. So uh, I think some of the concerns from athletic directors uh, are being addressed by this. But uh, schools have until Monday, this last Monday, to report. But uh, only a few schools have publicly released. Penn State, LSU, Tennessee, all over $200 million for the first time. But they're way behind Texas, who set that record. Dying to know what Oregon and Oregon State are standing at. Number five. Hey, everybody's favorite guy, Connor Stallions. Remember him? <laughs> so he's the analyst with Michigan that was mentioned heavily in the investigation into sign stealing. If you would like a personalized message from Connor Stallions. Oh, just what I wanted. He's listed as former Michigan football analyst on Cameo. For a mere $75, you can book a personal video from Connor Stallions. In the form of a birthday wish, a game recap, a pep talk, a roast, mm. advice, question, or other. How much money? How much? $75. Wow, that's cheaper than Antonio Brown's 250 bucks. I thought 75 was actually pretty steep. Brett Favre's 275 And his reviews are really spectacular. Does he do a good job with it? Yeah, people just say, you know, all these anonymous reviewers <laughs> saying that he knocked the video out of the park. A true Michigan man.
<laughs> Tim Donahue, 40 bucks. How about that? 40 bucks? 40 bucks. 40 bucks. Tim Donahue. There you go. Uh, Tim Brown, NFL Hall of Famer, 100 bucks. Okay. We saw him recently in Vegas. He was in Vegas for some golf tournament. Uh, I'm trying to think who, like, who else you would want. Brian Bosworth. Steven, you get Brian, you can get the Boz. 150 bucks. You can get a lot of people on Cameo. I, I had a stretch where I was just looking at people on Cameo and be like, yeah, that'd be fun. That'd be cool. I mean, yeah. Cameo's a cool place. Like, Anna, like, I know you'd be more into, like, actors. Uh-huh. You know? Like, mm-hmm. comedians, actors. Sure. You know, there's, there's a real market. Like, some of these guys must be making some real money for I them just, to be on here. I just like that Griffin, who apparently bought a Cameo from Connor Stallion, says, you can tell that this guy knows how to work a camera. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I just—he's not going away. The reality TV category is like the 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 slumming category. You know, I'm looking for the guy from uh, the Tiger guy. Oh yeah, you know? Tiger King. Tiger King guy. Isn't he still in jail? Is he in jail? Can he do a cameo <laughs> from jail? jail? Carol Baskin. I'd get yeah. a Carol Baskin one. Carol Baskin's husband, who surfaced later, we thought she was dead. Thought he was dead? Oh, you can get it from, like, Draco Malfoy, you know, from Harry Potter. Oh, that would be really cool for Someone would our want children. That. Yeah. I don't know, though. Do kid, Would kids think that that was a cool gift? I don't I don't think so. <laughs> I've only see I've one seen time? one in real life. Um, my buddy got married, and he's a big Jaguars fan, and so I had another buddy who lived in Virginia, couldn't make it to the wedding, so he had Maurice Jones Drew, like, wish him a happy wedding. It was actually really cool. <laughs> You know who was big on Cameo? Who was really into it? And it was it might not surprise you. Mike Leach. He was big he, in what way? All right. So, I was talking after <laughs> Leach did him and he liked doing it. Oh. Okay. So, after he died, I was texting with one of his former assistants and he said he was saying I miss the guy. I miss the guy. He was so quirky and I said, "Yeah, we used to have these great interviews." And I said, "Sometimes He'd call me and you guys would be like wrapping up a meeting and he's calling me or he would be uh, walking to practice and he, we have a conversation. He says, I'll go further. He said, at practice, during practice, he said, Leach would sometimes during a break, like as a water break, <laughs> step away and people would see him like holding his phone up and they'd be like, what are you doing? And he's like, I just did a cameo, made 150 bucks, <laughs> you know, like. He was doing his cameos from practice. William Hung, twenty nine dollars. <laughs> Wait, I'm sorry, twenty nine. Twenty nine dollars. What's yeah. the a point? Very specific amount. Do you know uh, Cameo reached out to me and asked me to set a price and go on there? I do know that. Yeah, it's kind of a big deal. I do. I I thought it would be <laughs> Stephen. This was a hilarious discussion. I thought it would be okay. So here's the question, Stephen. Help me out. So Cameo reaches out and says, hey, we think there would be a market like people who are in your listening or reading you, they get a birthday wish or whatever, you know, can you sign up? And I and I was like, I kind of reluctantly looked at it and then I thought, this is pretty cool. It's flattering. Like would someone actually pay, you know, to get a, and then there was this big discussion Anna and I had yeah. about like, all right, how much do you charge? Right. And if you do the William Hung thing where he's like 29 bucks, yes. that's not very flattering. Like right. twenty nine bucks, so I almost wanted to go on there and set a price that was like too high, <laughs> like that no one would pay, but that people who were going on the site would see and go, oh, 
That guy values himself. Well, yeah. it's like, as people in retail would know, it's the implied value. Like, you almost overprice something because uh, someone goes, oh, well, they must be worth that much if that's what they're charging. Chuck Norris, right. 450 bucks. Yeah, so I would go, like, 400 <laughs> You know? <laughs> 400 and you I don't think know you're that bigger I, than Kevin from The Office. Come on, <laughs> but I'm just—I'm not even in it to make money. I'm just in it to look like you know. Hey, look at that guy. Shooter McGavin from Happy Gilmore charges two fifty. Okay, I'd be—I'd be, I'd be uh, right in there. Tommy yeah. Chong of Cheech and Chong is one fifty. You'd be at four hundred. Well, we talked about this, and I said I don't even care if anybody would sign up for it, but I just want when people go on there to not be embarrassed by the amount of money that I put. <laughs> you know? And ultimately the whole thing was so stressful and such a dilemma I didn't do it. that we were like, no, it's just not worth it. Can't it's even do it. it. It's not worth it to look that to look bad. You can get a cameo from Santa for nine dollars. I'll just do Santa, it. Come on. Here's my thing. I'll do a cameo. Come on. I'll do a cameo if people make a donation to the BFT Foundation. How about that? So you have somebody you want to do a birthday wish? Anna and are I. You, are you setting a actually, minimum? Actually, Anna and I <laughs> oh. will do the cameo, whoever you want it to do it. If you make a donation to BFT Foundation, send us a note, say, hey, I want to do this. And it, we're happy to do a video wishing someone a happy birthday or a happy anniversary in exchange for a donation to the BFT Foundation. How about that? Would that work? That's better. I'm happy to do that. Yeah, because that's better do than. Do you want to set a minimum on that? A uh, hundred bucks, okay. hundred dollar donation. Do a sixty second video. All right, I'll sixty seconds of your time. That's way better mm -hmm. than like some you know former NFL player who should not be on here. Dan Patrick's on there. One hundred and fifty. Okay, we'd be one hundred. Caitlyn Jenner, twenty five hundred. But like Jim Wait, Jim Beheim's on there. Oh. Steve Alford's on there. Fifty bucks. <laughs> you know, like that's sad to me. <laughs> Andrew Dice don't Clay, need a thousand. It. Do they really need it? See, that's so. See that that's funny when you get someone like that who's like, "Yeah, I'm worth a thousand. And I bet somebody does it. And someone does it. Yeah, mm. you gotta have, you gotta value yourself. There's an audience out there. Someone out there will pay a thousand dollars for Andrew Dice. The Clay. people at Cameo were really annoyed with me because I asked a bunch of questions and they're of like, "Dude, they were you're not there. that big a deal, dude. Just fill it out. Stop overthinking this. Just sign up." <laughs> but I kept going, you know. But what what's the timeline? How long does a video have to be? You know, all this stuff. A friend of ours did a, a birthday video for his wife recently. It was like a, one, a milestone birthday, and he really wanted to go big. And so he had all these people wishing her happy birthday. And he used Cameo to get, um, he got Dr. Pimple Popper for anyone Ooh. that watches that yeah. lovely show. Nice. Yeah, apparently she's a huge fan. And so, yeah, got a lovely video from Dr. Pimple Popper. Well, I don't think so. I think we're I think I'm a bigger deal than the pimple popper. Oh, I don't I don't know about that. We'll see. All She's right. She's got a huge following. Coming up, Jerry Palm, CBS Sports, is going to tell us about the NCAA basketball field. Leave it here. Our next guest is my go-to when it comes to bracketology. Resident expert at CBS Sports, Jerry Palm. He is the bracketology expert. Uh, all things college basketball, even college football. He's involved with all of that. His latest bracket is out this week. Oregon in. You have Washington State in the first four out. Jerry Palm joining us. Uh, how you doing? How's your world right now? It's cold and um, icy here. Yeah. 
we just got above zero for the first time in the last three days uh, today. Finally got above zero. Where are you I right am now? in suburban Chicago, northwest okay. Indiana. So this happens every year. We get a little snow. We get a dusting of snow or an inch here or some freezing rain, and everybody freaks out. But we have... We have a lot of hills, okay? And we're not used to this, Jerry Palm. So when it happens, we <laughs> shut down. I, uh, I I I feel for you. Uh, you know, we uh we're a little more hardened against that sort of weather here. Hey man, <laughs> you are. You grow up in it though. Like, you know, can you remember like yeah. as a kid, did you was oh, yeah. it happy when it snowed? Like what happens when it snowed? Um, yeah, cuz we got to play in it. So um, when I was really young, 1967, Chicago had a record snowfall of about 27 inches. And I've got pictures of me and my dad building this big snow arch, um, which where we wrote 1967 at the top. So yeah, the snow was the snow was fun. I mean, you get to a point where you know you can't go anywhere, schools closed and all that. But uh, um, I don't mind it. Uh, you know, or I would move because yeah. we get it. So. Yeah, you're still in it, by the way. Yeah, you're still in it, so you must be something about it. Um, you know, let's talk a little bit. Can I talk a little football? I want to ask you a little football before we go sure. on to onto the basketball bracket and what's happening in college basketball. We were debating earlier, you know, what will people be complaining about or how will the major conferences game the expanded playoff? What's on your mind as the bracket goes to 12? What kinds of things are people going to be bellyaching about, you know, a year from now? Well, I, well, first of all, I don't think gaming it is any different. Uh, you don't need to play anybody outside your league. Um, nobody really cares if you if you, I don't think the committee takes strength of schedule seriously. So you know, and if you're in the SEC and the Big Ten, you're going to get all the strength you need in your conference games probably. So you don't really have to play anyone outside your league. So that's how you game it. Now people will still do that, uh, play good non-conference games because TV will put them together. Or, you know, sometimes you just like to do it. But um, the, the there's no need for it. Um, the, the thing that people are going to complain about is that all the at-large bids are going to two conferences, the SEC and the Big Ten. Uh, if, they, if there's more than one at-large bid to any other league, I'd be surprised. That's what people will complain about. Jerry Palm with us, bracketology, college football playoff expert, Let's turn to the bracket. Um, you and I talked earlier this week because Washington State had a really good week last week in knocking yeah. out Arizona and USC, helped themselves. You still have them in your first four out. And Kyle Smith, the coach there, he was delighted to hear that yesterday. Had him on the show, and he was really happy with that. But, um, you know, what does Washington State need to do? Just keep winning, I guess. Yeah. You know, the problem is the Pac-12 didn't, pick up much in the way of quality non-conference wins. So now you have to try and do it in the league. But because you didn't do it in non-conference play, the opportunities for the higher quality non-conference wins aren't as numerous. Uh, The league has, and this fluctuates a little bit as teams move in and out, but currently eight non-conference quad one wins. Arizona has four of them. Utah has three. And Washington State's win is it Washington or Washington State that beat Xavier? Washington. Washington beat Xavier, and Xavier, even though they're not really anywhere near the bracket, is still a quad one win for Washington. So, you know that you you know trying to get the higher quality wins 
Um, if you're not beating Arizona, if you're not beating Utah, you're probably not getting them. Now, Arizona's been cooperative lately because they've uh, coughed up a couple. They've, the loss at Stanford is particularly galling. Uh, the one at Washington State's not, not so bad. But, um, you know, giving up 100 points to Stanford. I mean, there's just times where, you know, Arizona, which is a really good offensive team, um, I got to see them when they came to Indy and played Purdue. You know, that's a, that's a pretty good team. Um, but their defense just, you know, occasionally takes a nap. Uh, and stand, giving up 100 points to Stanford is one of those times. You know, I mean, Purdue got 92, and that's an elite offense. And so you, you don't fuss that too much. And Florida Atlantic, I think, got 96. And that's a pretty good offense, too, that also goes to sleep once in a while. Um, but it's, you know, the 100 to Stanford, that that's just can't happen. Um, but and Stanford probably isn't good enough to take advantage of it, although they've been better lately. Uh, but the, there's just no depth in the league. You get Arizona's the potential national champion, and Utah is a borderline top 25 team. And you know, Oregon's in the bracket primarily because they're the conference leader. You got a couple of teams that are close, but it doesn't look like the Pac 12 is going to be all that well represented this year. Um, obviously it doesn't help that a couple of programs that are usually competing for spots, uh, the L.A. schools, UCLA and USC, are having you know, down years, and UCLA is really down. question I keep getting from Oregon fans is, you know, they want to know why the Ducks are not ranked in the AP Top 25, and they want to know why they're not higher in the net rankings. And what do you tell them? That they don't have the eye-catching wins. They're not getting anyone's attention. Um, they've got a good record. Um, but the the rankings, you know, they're in the mid fifties of the net uh, in the um, and Ken Palm and those two rankings in particular pay almost no attention to margin or anything but margin of victory. So, and obviously, you can do a lot of sophisticated math stuff with just margin of victory. That's basically what gambling lines are based on, uh, at least initial lines are based on. So. Um, and that's what Ken Palm is trying to do is predict point spreads. Well, if you're going to predict point spreads, you're going to use point spreads as the basis of your data. The net has a little bit of, of win-loss component in it, but it correlates very strongly to Ken Palm. So, you know, Oregon is in the mid-70s in average margin of victory. So it makes sense that the net and, and um, Ken Palm would probably have them more in the 50s. Uh, because of the one loss component, especially for the net. And um, the, there's a couple of ranking systems on the team sheets that don't take margin of victory into account at all. And Oregon does better in those. They're in the mid thirties in those. So, you know, the, the but they're not doing well in the rankings because they, it's the strength of schedule. They just don't have enough, you know, big wins to, to lift them up uh, in, in these rankings. They'll play Colorado tomorrow at Utah on Sunday. And then I'm looking ahead on the schedule. You know, it'll be January 27th. They will be home against Arizona. Gosh, it puts a lot of pressure on Dana Altman and the Ducks. they got to win that Arizona yeah. game. Yeah, I don't really think Oregon can afford to lose at home. To anybody, uh, Arizona, whoever. I, I think if, if they're going to make the NCAA tournament, they need to win their home games, see if they can steal something on the road. Do they get Utah at home? Because I know the schedules are unbalanced. I'm looking at it right now. They're at Utah, uh, and then they have Utah at home in their last game. 
Okay, so they get both Arizona and Utah at home. Um, you know, so those are their two best chances to get wins that are going to get the committee's attention, at least prior to the conference tournament. So I, you know, I think if, if Oregon's going to be an at-large team, they cannot afford to lose at home. And then, and they really can't afford to lose to too many of their road games, um, especially bottom half of the league teams. You know, you got to beat the teams on the road that can hurt you if you don't beat them. Stanford, Cal, UCLA, uh, Oregon State among them. Jerry Palm with us, CBS Sports yep. Bracketology expert. Uh, conference in general, you know, you, you see, you mentioned that LA schools are down. But do you see, like, Arizona looks really good at times, and you look at their players, they have good players, and they have some quality wins. But what do you see happening with the Wildcats on the court? Yeah, it's, well, I mean, look, that's that's the team that can win the championship. They're good, they've got good enough players, and they're well enough coached that they can win the whole thing. Uh, And they have shown that at times this season, that they are good enough to beat anybody on any given night. Um, but you know, and then they lost to Purdue and that, that there's no shame at all in that loss. Um, really the one it's the Stanford game, but when they have lost, it's, it's, they're giving up a ton of points you know, they're just not, the defense is not consistent enough for them to be a number one seed contender, but you don't have to have, you know, to win the NCAA tournament, you only have to have good, you know, defense for maybe four games. You know, they can probably get through the first couple without, you know, top-notch defense, and then you got to lock it down at least a little bit um, for those last four games if they're going to win the championship. Uh, so if they can do that, um, they can get better defensively, then Arizona is definitely going to be one of the favorites when we get to March. Jerry, um, you know, just kind of a tangential question. We're going to watch Washington State and Oregon State play this WCC schedule next season. Um, how does mm-hmm. their life change? Let's just assume Kyle uh, Smith's still at Washington State and they're still pretty good. And w- Wayne Tinkle and Oregon State, I would expect they'd do a little better maybe in the WCC. But how does their life and their quest to get into the NCAA tournament change playing a WCC schedule? Well, you probably have a better chance of winning the automatic bid than you do in the Pac-12. You know, or in the Pac-12, you've there's going to be, you know, two or three, you know, elite-level teams every year that you have to try and fight through. Now, in the West Coast, you normally have Gonzaga as one of those teams. They're a little bit down this year. Um, they're still pretty good, but they're not. They just fell out of the top 25 for the first time in, what, 16 years, something like that this week. Um but they've got some good players still. I mean, that's a team that could still win that league. And then, you know, St. Mary's has been doing pretty well under Randy Bennett. And then every once in a while, somebody else pops up. Uh, this year, San Francisco looks pretty decent. Um, but the the level of competition in that league won't be what they're seeing in the Pac-12 in general, top to bottom. So they've got a better chance to win an automatic berth in that league. But they're still going to have to do, in a a sense, you know, what Gonzaga and St. Mary's in particular try to do is schedule well outside the league so they have more opportunities for quality wins uh, to to try and give themselves a shot at an at-large. Because if they don't schedule well and beat some of the teams that they'd be competing with for NCAA tournament spots in non-conference play, they're going to be depending entirely on the automatic 
I'm looking at your bracket, and right now you've got you know Purdue, Kansas, Houston, UConn as your one seeds. Uh, is well, UConn you know, looks good tonight, yeah, <laughs> right now it, as we speak. How, how murky is are those four ones to you? How clear are they? Is there a separation anywhere? Do you see you know four or five, eight teams? Where do you see the gaps? Um, I think we go. Let's say six. Maybe seven deep right now. Um, that are all perfectly capable of winning a national championship. The four that you just mentioned, and then North Carolina, who's playing fabulous right now, um, Arizona and Tennessee. And I mean, those are teams that are that look like they're in this for the long haul. They're going to be near the top of the bracket. Most of them are going to win their conferences. They can't all because they're they're. Some of them are in the same conference, but, you know, those are teams that are going to be near the top of the bracket. And then, you know, we'll see what happens with some of these others. Um, I think Kentucky is an interesting team because they're really young, um, but very talented. And sometimes the youth shows up, but when they're playing well, they're going to be hard to beat. I think Memphis is intriguing as well. Um, that's an older team. It's got some transfers, uh, and that they're just kind of flying under everybody's radar. I've got them, I think, as a three seed in my bracket, and they're 39th in the net um, because they don't win by a lot. Uh, but that's a team that's got a, a really good tournament resume right now, and they've got some guys. They're going to be a tough out in the NCAA tournament, and it's an older team. Yeah, you mentioned older, and you know people were looking at Michigan – and Washington in the national championship game in the playoff, and they were looking at Texas and Alabama, and the comment was made that, gosh, those teams were old. They had experienced mm-hmm. players, uh, certainly Michael Penix Jr. at Washington, all the experience he had. Yeah. You see the same thing in Michigan in, brought a lot of guys back yeah. from, that could have gone pro last year, and a lot of guys came back to chase a title. That used to be indicative of the mid-majors in the NCAA tournament because you'd see fifth-year guys playing against yeah. one and duns. And so are you seeing more depth in that way? Like when you look at Purdue and Kansas and UConn and are Purdue's you seeing? An old team. Yeah. Yeah. Purdue, um, Purdue, well, Purdue's a little different. They don't really get the one and done guys. Um, the last closest thing they had to a one and done was Glenn Robinson, who could not do one and done because the rule was different back then. You had to, you couldn't come out until after three years of college. So, um, but you know, Caleb Swanigan left early, uh, but not after one year. Uh, Purdue rarely gets those guys. Um, they recruit to a culture, talented guys, but to a culture. And for the most part, those guys stick around. Um, Zach Eady's a unicorn, um, 429th rated recruit when he came out of high school because he, had only been playing basketball for two years at that point. Well, we're up to six now. Um, and uh, he, so he makes exponential, you know, leaps every year. Uh, but for the most part, you know, Purdue's, a, Purdue's always an old team. They always have veteran guys. Um, but a lot of, you know, Kentucky, it's funny because Cal, you know, used to have, he'd bring in like all these five-star recruits every year and try and throw something together. And a lot of times it worked. And then sometimes it didn't. So then he tried to go, I think more of the transfer route and, and try and have some older guys. And then that wasn't really working. So now he's going back to youth. 
Um, and this year it seems to be paying off a little bit. But with youth, you always have to be patient, and you're always, you know, churning your roster. And with the transfer portal and the ability to do one and done in college basketball, you see a lot of roster churning going on. In places like Purdue, you don't see that, but that's pretty rare. Yeah, and I think uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Uh, you're way too early. I guess you kind of are picking your final four, but you're way too early national Ooh. champion. Who is it? Um, oh, I really, really hate to say this, but I'm thinking Purdue. And That's I hate to say team. it because I'm a Purdue guy. <laughs> I know, it's your I just, team. I cannot wrap my head around <laughs> that concept. So it's probably somebody else, and you know it would be probably somebody else anyway. But because oh, they're you know they're not a dominant team, but they've got the dominant guy, and I mean Zach Eady. <laughs> See him last night. Yeah. You probably didn't watch the Purdue Indiana game, I'm uh, even though Purdue you covered both those schools for a yep. while. Yeah, yep. I'm watching them all the time. He's diving on the floor with an 18 point lead in about a minute to go. <laughs> Just yeah, Zach Eady is something else. Give me an idea. All right, so Oregon, Washington, USC, UCLA come in in football and in basketball. You know, we've got just a couple minutes here, Jerry, but give me an idea. Can can those schools make a bigger impact in basketball, football? What do you see the big impact being? Um, I think it varies from school to school. Uh, UCLA may not make a big impact in football, but they should in basketball. They're not right now making much of an impact. Um, I, none of those schools are bad at either of those sports. Uh, Washington, obviously, an elite season um, and has had a, a bit of a good run lately, but there's going to be a lot of change there next year. Oregon is consistently good. Um, they'll probably Oregon and USC will probably have the biggest impact, at least immediately in football uh, and in basketball. I mean, I would expect UCLA – um, and Oregon to to have more of an impact than maybe the other two, but that could vary. But I think that those four collectively will have more of an impact on football. Jerry Palm, you're the best. Stay warm there. Good luck to your boilers. Too late for me. Save yourself. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you, my friend. All right. Thanks. Good stuff from Palm. He's above zero. <laughs> I love that. People in that region of the country, I got to tell you, they do get. I think they immerse themselves in basketball because they can't go outside because you freeze. You turn into an ice sculpture. Leave it here. Some parting thoughts coming up. Well, in hour one, we talked with Matt Zafino, the chief meteorologist at KGW, who uh, basically pointed out that it is not melting and thawing out as fast as he had hoped uh, and expecting some cooler temperatures overnight and some easterly uh, winds that will uh, have temperatures dropping again, not below freezing, but certainly delaying the thaw. And uh, there's an ice rink in in, uh, in my neighborhood. It's right outside my house. And uh, the kids were uh, more or less skating around in their boots in the driveway area and in the front yard as uh, I watched them and said, come in, come in, you're going to fall, you shouldn't be out there. I sound like my parents. Um, but a uh, great interview with Zafino, who's also a University of Utah fan, and he pointed out that the streets in Salt Lake City are twice as wide as the streets in uh, most other cities. And Portland has one of the narrowest, narrowest streets in the downtown corridor. 
Salt Lake City has the widest. I mean, 220 feet of width in Salt Lake City, 60 feet of width in downtown Portland. Think about that, the difference in that. So Matt Zafina was great, and uh, grab that podcast if you want to uh, hear a fun interview that involves the weather and sports. Um, I want to thank Jerry Palm, CBS Sports Bracketology expert and resident Purdue fan. He is uh, a guy I met years ago, 25, 30 years ago, and really gave up his job. He was working in um, as a data analyst, and he, uh, you know, he would probably describe himself as a nerd. And as a hobby, he started trying to predict what the uh, rankings were going to do and what the selections committees were going to do, and found that he could accurately predict the BCS formula. And then he subsequently was hired by CBS Sports to become their bracketology expert on basketball and football. So he's turned his hobby, his passion, into a full-time job. So uh, Palm was great in the last segment. Pac-12's got a little bit of a problem in men's basketball in that the conference did not pick up a bunch of non-conference wins that um, are going to help those teams. But right now, as you look at sort of the uh, projections of the bracket, you see Oregon in, you see Arizona in, and you got teams like Colorado, Utah, Washington State that could all kind of play themselves in or out of the tournament, depending on how you look at it. UCLA's been a non-factor. They're a disaster. Mick Cronin throwing his players under the bus after every game, losing badly, um, just a bad look. USC has been disappointing. I'm really kind of perplexed what happened there. Andy Enfield, I thought he was a really good coach. He gets Bronny James and just doesn't seem to be working and i keep looking at their box scores too and going like you know how is the sum of this not adding up to enough points to win and usc's kind of a mystery this season washington's been better um you know and then stanford on a given night plays really well then doesn't play well and cal of course is better than they were a year ago when they won only three games so this conference is not great but has a chance if you can get arizona oregon potentially Utah and or Colorado, potentially Washington State. Don't count Arizona State and Bobby Hurley out. You know, people are not sold on them yet, but he's got a good – he doesn't have a bad team. And so it's that group right there when you kind of look at potential tournament teams. And by the way, if you're an Oregon State or a Washington State fan, you have to be paying attention to that because guess what? The NCAA tournament units – are going to belong to the Cougars and the Beavers moving forward. So Arizona playing deep into the tournament, good for Oregon State, Washington State. Oregon making the tournament, good for Oregon State, Washington State. If you can get additional teams that get in, not only get in the tournament, but can win a game or two, can you get three to the Sweet 16? You know, you know, Pac-12 well represented in some years, getting three teams into the Sweet 16 or two into the Elite Eight or three into the Elite Eight. Those are good years that, generate a whole bunch of NCAA tournament units. And so even though Oregon State and Wayne Tinkler are kind of sitting back going, hey, not our year, Just trying to build for something for the future. Oregon State certainly has a decent record but has not played uh, in a bunch of teams. And the loss at home to Stanford on Thursday of last week, not a, not a good loss. But Oregon State going to Utah tomorrow night and Colorado on Saturday. But, you know, Oregon State can still be looking around going, hey, we uh, we could still win here if Oregon, Arizona, Washington State, you know, Colorado, Utah get in the tournament bracket, Oregon State and Washington State both win. 
Uh, Stephen, did I ask the right questions to Jerry Palm? I just kind of, you know, the stuff that's on my mind or the stuff readers reach out to me and say, hey, can you ask, you know, why is Oregon not ranked? They have all these wins. They're not in the top 25. Did I ask the right questions? Yeah, I think you did. I think you covered a lot of the Pac-12. I think you also covered the fact that how how different it's going to be next season for teams going to the Big Ten. Um, I think that's important. You know, you look at, we know football. We've talked about that to death, but we haven't really talked about the basketball side as well, how they fit in the Big Ten, because the Big Ten basketball conference is really good as well. So I thought you did. A, I thought you hit all the, uh, all the important points for the Pac-12 uh, type of questions for this season and uh, the Big Ten for next season. Yeah, and I think if you are a Oregon fan, we get we get consumed with talking about football. There's a basketball element to this, and of course the Olympic sports that I think will become a storyline as these teams all move to the Big Ten Conference. All right, grab a podcast to this radio show, listen to the interviews, share them liberally. It's free. Why wouldn't you do it? Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so you don't miss a thing. And we're back tomorrow with another great show. The Bald Face Truth, not here for a long time, just a good time. Stay safe, everybody.